My fear wasn't going to jail. And I say this to anybody who doesn't understand. My fear wasn't going to jail. My fear was what I was going to become if I had to go to jail. Survive in jail. My fear was what I was going to have to become. Yeah. Right? Because I wasn't going to go in there and be cordial if that's the environment you're going to put me in. You're going to throw me in there. You're going to put my, my back against the wall. You know I'm a cop. You know I have all the dangers and the signs against me. Now I have to get in there and I have to be savage level times 10 at any, at any cost necessary. No comment. <laughs> oh, he didn't kill Bin Laden. Probably blame me for being an idiot, but... And which you were, which we all were. <laughs> you have to make it to where crime doesn't pay. You have to deter crime, whether it's crime or terrorism, it's the same principle. You have to clash with supervision. You have to or nothing will get done. Supervisors can't learn how to supervise, and you can't learn how to respect a supervisor without confrontation. It has to happen. <laughs> Do not take that out. JV team for life. Do you do anything to stretch out your vocal cords, or do you just, you just go cold? No, I just smoke a cigar for the first time. <laughs> for the first time ever? Yeah, I think, you know. I've tried cigars, but I don't I've use them. cigars for I should three weeks now. Lines don't stretch before the kill, you know, so why would you stretch out your vocal cords before a podcast? <laughs> your line, I like that about you. Yeah. Man, that was good. Sell, sell me this pen. <laughs> Welcome back to the Anti-Hero Podcast, part Delta Force, part Street Cop. All podcasts. I'm Tyler, owner of Refractive Wolf Apparel, all American outsider apparel. Use promo code Antihero for 15% off the dopest graphic tees. And I'm Brent Tucker, owner of First Responders Coffee and Cigar Company. Use FRCC 15, get 15% off the world's best coffee and award winning cigars. I made that up. And you got some new stuff coming out too. We do excited. have some new stuff coming out. That's absolutely, that's really. Uh, Can you say anything about the skin or no? I'm, it, 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 it's coming soon. Okay. Well, I'm gonna keep it a little bit of a secret. I'm that excited about it. But you don't I'm want people to steal it. Under, that's right. Out. Yeah, it, it really is that unique. Um, so we just want to really take a, a second, real quick, to to plug our Patreon. It's been a while since we did it. The whole point of the Patreon is, you know, we do put an extra content in there. We do B sides. We do giveaways uh, once a month. We'll be send free merch and stuff like that. But the biggest part of the Patreon is getting people. Uh, are getting that avenue to connect with people where the inboxes in our Instagrams are insane. <laughs> They're getting busy. between me and Brent trying to make sure that we talk to each person or because what happens is me and Brent will talk to the same person and that person is totally confused on who we talk to or me and Brent think Brent or Tyler talk to them and then they go unread or they go unreplied. So if you could, um, Check out a Patreon. It's there's three dollars or five dollar options. It gives a direct line to me and Brent. Uh, we both have access to it, and uh, that way you can give us topics to talk about. Because people send us all kinds of dope. They send us hero of the week, dumbass comps of the week. They send us guests. They're like, I know this person, and no. we want to get all that stuff from you. But it is uh, like it's really hard to keep up. With. And starting this episode uh, on our Patreon account, we're gonna post shirtless pics of our guests. Yeah. Sorry. Did you know that? So I didn't know that. You know, well, it's, <laughs> it's, in, it's in the fine print, actually, if you look at it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can, just go check out our Patreon. Uh, we'll leave a link in the description. And Brent, you want to take it away? Absolutely. This, we're going to have another great episode this week. Uh, I heard his story, and I was like, man, i, I got to have you on. Uh, with us is Yusuf uh, Hafza. Um, he is a 12-year veteran in, in law enforcement. Worked here in Florida as a uh, as a sheriff deputy and 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 several different departments. Um, can't wait for him to share his wild story. 
Uh, and then post Wild Story, he's become an entrepreneur and didn't let a really bad day and really multiple days, a segment of your life, mm-hmm. uh, get you down. And I really want to talk about uh, you know what what you did in the with business afterwards and how you got that. But first things first. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story with us, brother. Yeah, yeah thank man, you for it. thank you for having me, uh, Brent. It's a but pleasure, and, and Tyler as well. As, thank you. As always, let's get to the 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 origin story, uh, if you will. Uh, we always a Florida resident, born and raised here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what? Where, where'd you grow up at? I was born and raised, uh, born in Daytona, but raised in Orlando. Okay, I grew up here my whole life. You know, went to middle school, elementary, middle school, high school, all in Orlando. So, Florida native. Central Florida wow. native. You've been here so long. You you remember when the Magic were good? Yeah, I was here. I used to stand <laughs> before. Actually, the days of Paramore, I used to stand out there by the arena and, and wait for Shaquille O'Neal when he used uh, to drive by. I'm telling you, and his Mercedes. We're gonna get Shaq on this podcast at you some so? point. Yeah. I, I, he I loves do. cops, man. I, I, he yeah, does. He loves. He's cops. a reserve, and uh, I think it's. Uh, Is he still? He's still a reserve oh, in like Miramar or something. He does like yeah. sex crimes. Love love that guy. Yeah. Um. And so. What got you into you know wanting to become a police officer? What what uh, or deputy? What uh, what age were you when that when that occurred? Made that decision? Probably, uh, I would say I was about eighteen or nineteen. It's a funny story, but um, I was in I was in living in, in Orlando uh, at my house, and it was about maybe sometime after midnight. I was sitting on my porch at the house talking to my phone, and uh, a vehicle came through the street, and mm-hmm. we have a dead end cul-de-sac in our street. And we know everybody. Everybody, everyone has basically lived there our whole life. This car comes in and he blacks out. And I'm watching the car. I don't recognize it. Guy gets out and he starts basically just pulling on doorknobs and unlocking, opening <laughs> up car doors. The funny thing is, is now obviously now that I'm I was in law enforcement, I would tell people lock your doors. But I didn't realize even even how many people would leave their doors unlocked. I mean, every single house he went to, he yeah. opened up the car door was unlocked. Yeah. I'd- that is, it's funny you say that. We had a string of car invasions in my middle class neighborhood, and he, no one got their windows broken into, but a lot of people got stuff stolen out of their vehicles. They well, were know, all unlocked. You know that, you know the MO. But mm-hmm. so what these kids will do is they'll black out, they'll drive slow, they'll have a crew that stands out, that walks. They have one driver. Sometimes they'll park, but usually they have a driver cruising blacked out, and they'll just go and touch doorknobs. They'll try doorknobs, doorknobs, doorknobs. They'll hit anybody who leaves their car unlocked. However, if they see something of because they can't break every window, but if they see an iPad case, a computer case, it. a gun, yeah. they're going to break the window and take it. So yeah. lock your doors and don't leave anything visible in the car. Absolutely. Know. And the, so this guy ends up uh, hitting a bunch of cars. So I get on the phone. I call 911. That's, I'm not tied to law enforcement at this point. And I'm on the phone with the dispatcher in Orange County Sheriff's Office in Orlando and uh, she tells me stay on the line she connects me to another person and we start the communication process about yeah. what's going on tell us what he's doing and he's hitting next car so next you car went car. in progress I that's what in progress, in progress. <laughs> I, was, I was in progress yeah right? so, was there. so <coughs> rather than they'll cut some middlemen mm-hmm. dispatch and if like he's like hey I'm watching a crime yeah. going on they're gonna go okay we're gonna send you to somebody to get yeah, the they, they switched me over months. and they said here you talk to this person and what is he doing now and I, yeah. I give him updates and she said, stay on the phone. And it felt like a, a century at the time, you know, because 10 minutes goes by. I'm like, right. where yeah. are they? I didn't right. know yeah. they're setting up a perimeter and doing this whole oh, thing, okay. right? So he ends up actually doing all the houses, and he, he comes to our house, and I'm sitting on the porch. And I was like, oh, this guy, I can't talk on the phone. He's yeah. about to walk up. Now, I have a screen porch. Okay. So I'm laid down oh. on the ground, and we have like four or five cars in our, in our grass and in our, in our driveway. And I'm like, hey, this guy's about to walk up to my house. I can't talk. I got to stay quiet. 
weirdly, the next door neighbor, he was uh, he worked for waste management. Okay. And it's he was going to work. He opens up his garage door at the same time, and the guy ends up bolting and running behind, hiding behind a car. When he did that, I went inside the house. The guy left, the neighbor left, and the guy continued his his burglaries. He ends up going into our driveway. We're watching him sitting in our cars. Yeah. Casual taking his time. Long story short, he hit about a dozen cars, and he drove off, and he left. And the lady says, stay on the phone. They're still trying to stop him. 10, 15 minutes goes by, mm-hmm. and she tells me, hey, they're going to drive by. They need to come They need to come meet with you. So that's my real first encounter with law enforcement. They get the guy? They got the guy. So the deputy picks nice. me up, puts me in the back of a car, says, we need you to do a, a show up, I, I, okay. an identification. Yep. So I remember they take me down. It was near the Citrus Bowl at this point. Now, mind you, <laughs> we're, we're near the Millennium Mall at okay. this point. That's where we live. See, 50 they, years ago, they would have been like, get in the car. We're just going to give you the option to beat his ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're like, here, we want you to go check him out, see, see if this is him. So they pull up, and I just remember seeing the street full of lights, FHP, Orange County, Orlando. Everybody and their mom was there, right? And I get there, and I step out of the car, and they have this guy prone out on the ground, taser probes all in yeah. him. You know, and they stand him up from a distance, and they said, is that the guy? And I said, yeah, that's him. And they said, hey, good job, man. This guy has been hitting houses left and right. Love it. You know, he's he's been like kind of on, on, yeah. on a bulletin. And, well, that's, you know, you got him. So that was my first encounter. Yeah. Right off the bat, that's probably our best uh, intro into into first responder life uh, right there. Yeah. I didn't didn't know that story as much as we've talked. Yeah. And, and uh, glad you saved something for the podcast. I appreciate good. that. Good. <laughs> so when when how old were you when you actually got badged when you're uh, i actually went to the academy when i was 19 i believe when i when i went to the academy and i got badged when i was 21 and we've talked about this several times and now that you have time to reflect back on that mm-hmm. and of course it is different you know for everyone their maturity level of course do you think you were prepared to be a law enforcement officer at age 21 just you personally doesn't i'm not saying is should that be yeah, acceptable for everyone sure. were you prepared for the job at 21 I think I was. See, now you already did it. Yeah. Once. No, I, I, yeah. I think I was prepared, uh, but I, I, don't, I think there could have been more mentorship that could have guided me a little bit more in terms of the changes that you would face as a young individual with that, that much power. Did you know any, uh, uh, did you have any mentors that were law enforcement? Uh, no, not, not when I started. Okay. I didn't, you so know, you so. were kind of going blind, just trusting the senior guys that you worked with. Yeah, and I was trusting those guys, and you know the law enforcement career, and I'll say it here, you know, it's a lot of infidelity, a lot of uh, weird shit that goes on inside in-house. Yeah. So as I came in, I was watching this, you know, coming yeah. in, and I was saying, okay, this is acceptable, this is acceptable, all right, I'm going down this path, later to find out when promotion time comes, things like that, you get scrutinized over those same behaviors mm-hmm. that you watched other people ahead of you kind of do and you learn from. So as a young as a young officer coming in, yeah, I would say I ca- pro- probably could have used – a little bit more mentorship, I think, is key to having successful officers now. Like someone's telling you, like, hey, man, this behavior isn't cool, no matter if your shift condones it and, and praises it. Sure. This, this is so, or, or and, and the reality is, like, for example, um, you know, I had people I looked up to that, you know, I knew were married and had uh, extracurricular lives outside, right? Yeah. And uh, The I female started, deputy on yeah. shift. So I, start, I started, <laughs> I start, listen, like, the reality is I started following that same lifestyle, right? And little did I know that the inner circles inside the agency know what you're doing. They don't say anything to you, but when it comes time for promotion, they kind of challenge you on your uh, uh, character, morals and character yeah. and ethics. And you're like, yeah. you're sitting there going, well, in my mind, other people around me have done it and they've been promoted and right. you guys have looked up to them. Or what's worse is when it's 
the same person that you know has done that as well. That's correct. Now that they're in a position of power is now questioning you ab- about correct. the things that you know that they did when they right, were right, right. And, and that's the tougher pill to yeah, swallow. Yeah. At the end of the day, you I've know, seen it. at the end of the day, I, I always hold myself accountable for my actions. Right. I just think when you ask Life's me a question fair, like yeah. that, yeah. But when you ask me a question like that, I say now looking back, if I was running an agency or if I had new officers coming in, or I give I give advice, I always tell guys now. You know, stick to your morals, your ethics, stick to your beliefs and allow that to guide you through your career. Don't change for the, you know, the moment in, in your career. Don't don't change to try to adapt to for, for someone else's. Um, um, right. Don't adapt into their already corrupted culture, correct. if you will, which correct. is easy to do as, 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 a, as a young person that that's looking for acceptance. Mm hmm. Um, I, I, I get that. It's hard to do, but yeah. you, that's great advice. Yeah. And. And if you tell people that, I think they will do that. But yeah. they, you know, they have to. Well, um, if, if if you tell somebody at a, at, a, at a very early start of their career, this is unacceptable. You shouldn't yeah. do this. Don't do well, that. I, we don't like that. One of the some of the best advice I've ever gotten that I would love to tell a young person is that don't change who you are to fit a unit or an assignment or something. And now that's that. You can't be a complete savage your whole life. So if you're going to be a cop, you ha- you do have to change. You know, you, have you can to be change for the better, but don't change for the worse. But also, don't hold back. One of the dudes, I you know, I, I I've been in positions like that where I hum- or not humbled myself. I brought myself down, my personality, and I changed it to try and fit what I thought people wanted. Had I had been who I was, which was labeled, you know, kind of abrasive or. Uh, an asshole or something like that. No. I would have been way more successful because it was who I am and I can operate the way I need to like that. When I'm trying to operate as a different person, whether it be, you know, uh, quieter or something like that, but just, or just what you're talking about, changing yourself. Don't, don't become a shit bag. Mm-hmm. If you're a good person at heart, because once you start adopting those characteristics, it's, it's hard to like, you do it for five years and you're like, Oh shit, I shouldn't be doing that. Right. Yeah. It becomes too you, you, right. you, right. you do it long enough to you are now. Exactly. Did you have a good FTO? I had good FTOs. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I went through FTO quite a bit because I had, I think I worked for three or four different agencies, you know, at the time, n- no issues at all that required me to leave, but I just chose careers to try to advance myself and find uh, different opportunities. Um, and so I had quite a bit of FTOs and I think most of my FTOs were good. Obviously, you know, there's, there's conflict when you have experience. Yeah. When you're in FTO, you look at some things, but you learn the process. Everybody tells you, you get in, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and you just do it, and you get by. So and I, I want to leave a, a decent amount of time for the meat and potatoes of the segment because sure. it's it, it it can be a, a long portion, and, and, and I want it to be because mm-hmm. uh, that's that's why we, we brought you here. The, the story's fascinating. How how long had, had you been uh, uh, in law enforcement before the incident? I had been in law enforcement for almost uh, about a little over 10, about 10 years. Okay. So when, and we'll get into it here in a second, but Mm -hmm. when you had to make this decision, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, like a, how do I say it? It wasn't a lack of experience, you know, oh shit moment. You have experience, you know, underneath your belt and you're 10 years into it. What, what was your position at before, before the incident? Uh, I was a road deputy, actually. Um, I, w- I was working midnights. Now, mind you, I had worked for a municipality before that for about eight years. I worked for uh, Palm Bay Police Department, which is where really I learned a lot of my uh, experience of the years because that's a small agency, big city, small agency, but very proactive agency. So yeah. I learned a lot in that process. And I, and I have had two shootings prior to that in my career. So I had a contact shooting in 2007 where I shot a guy who pulled a gun on me. 
on a traffic stop on a bicycle. <laughs> really? And that was a year on the job. So with uh, no experience, I got into that shooting, yeah. and, it, and then it changed my mindset yeah. after that shooting. Any any indicators, you know, as you look back on that that first incident, Oof. you know, any any indicators or you know the well, l- you know lessons learned from from that interaction? Absolutely. Being a new new officer at the time, um, he had a it was a BB gun painted black. He was suicidal. He he told his family he was going to go out and get killed by a cop because his girlfriend broke up with him. That's a good reason. So so his Great his reason. mom <laughs> his mom calls the police department and tells them that right. Yeah. And what is the police department? We found out later on they did a bolo, countywide bolo. Look out for this guy. He's riding a bicycle. He's got a gun in the front waistband. You mi- but you missed the bolo. You didn't no. see it. No. The dispatch actually took the bolo uh-huh. and and they had it on a printer. They never put Fucking it out. Fucking dispatchers, man. <laughs> so Jesus. Don't, you don't do that. <laughs> we love dispatchers. We do. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we d- we do briefing and I I'm a proactive new officer. As soon as briefing is done, I shoot up to the north side of our city, which is a Low income, predominantly cocaine, crack area, drug area, right? High crime. And I get out there and I start right away. And I get on it and I'm looking. And, you know, in Florida, the lights the lights go down. you got to have lights on your bike. Mm-hmm. The law here. It's a good <laughs> PC stop for And no matter how many times you stop them, they never get lights on their bike. Right. <laughs> and they'll, and they'll, give you good, they'll give you a good indicator when they jump off and run. And okay. Like that. Well, yeah. so I see this guy on a bicycle and he's riding. He's got no lights. And I go, here we go. You know. <laughs> And I, I stop him, and I get out the car, and I go, hey, man, you have no lights on your bike. And he's standing there. I didn't know he's wearing everything in the description on the bolo. No clue at all. And I start talking to the guy, and I said, hey, man, ID. He gives me his ID, put it in my pocket, and I start putting gloves on. And he goes, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to pat you down. He's like, no, you're not. <laughs> now, again, I'm new, right? Right. That's not a red flag yet for me, but I'm like, yes, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm challenged by him. I'm like, right. Yes, I am going to fucking, fucking pat you down. Dare you. you know, <laughs> at the same time that I said that, he gets off the bicycle, but it was so quick that I didn't have a chance. I thought he was going to run. He gets off the bike and he reaches and he just pulls. And when he does that, I'm like, oh shit! You know, like I see it, I see him right pull yeah. like that. He he waves like that, points at me, and I run behind the car. I duck, and I realize he didn't shoot at me at that point. I I pull my gun out. I challenge. I'm looking for him. I see him. He's got the gun down. Yeah. And he's telling me, "Fucking shoot me, fucking shoot me." You know, he's yelling at me over right. and over again. Shoot me, shoot me. This goes on for a few minutes. I'm behind the car and I'm yelling, you know, I'm screaming for backup on the radio. And um, eventually. At least he said it, screaming for backup. I was. (laughs) That's that's reality right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't like, you know, uh, bro, uh, who's here? We got an armed man over, you know. I'm good. Giving him the coordinates to drop a missile. No, I wasn't doing that. I was, you know, and and, and I might have even sounded different on the radio too, right? Who the fuck is that girl screaming, you know? But um, so more units show up. And at this point, he had already started to walk away. I, I allowed him to walk away from me, put the gun in his waistband. He's like, fuck it, you're not going to shoot me. I'll wait till they <laughs> right. get here so they can kill me. Right. And now you got some drug drug dealers coming out and drug addicts, and they're like, hey, dude, put that shit down. They're going to kill you, bro. He's like, ah, fuck it. Starts smoking right. a cigarette. Yeah. He's waiting. More units show up. Now there's about two or three units on one side challenging him with rifles and tasers, waiting to get close to him. And I'm by myself on one side. We have him kind of cornered. But he looks at the, the opportunity. He sees multiple here. Me by myself, he comes towards me, yeah. reaches back in his waistband. I fired a shot, hit him. He dropped. He survived. But he told FDLE in the hospital, I did everything I could to get him to kill me. He wouldn't kill me. That was a game changer for me. Why? Because even as an officer who showed um, patience and, uh, you know, I reserved right. myself, right? I w- yeah. You think I was scrutinized? I'm sure you were. I was fucking slaughtered. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's up being a BB gun, right? It was a BB gun painted. Right, but, right, painted, right. But thinking about thinking about it now as a, as somebody with experience, 
it was it was reckless and dangerous to my life, yeah. right? Because right. I, d- I didn't respond fast enough. But I got criticized so heavy right. at the department by officers, basically saying, what the fuck are you doing? Why did you not? Here's you know? the thing, though. How long ago was that? 15 years ago? Yeah, 2007. 15 years ago? Mm-hmm. It'd be scrutinized opposite this time. Why'd mm-hmm. you shoot him? Not why didn't you shoot him? Because you hear those stories. You know, why why'd it take you so long? You could have gotten killed. Now, the scrutiny is the cops that, the supervisors and the admin that would say, why didn't you shoot them? They're going to stay quiet and let the, they're going to let the politicians and the media go, why'd you shoot them? And another thing I want to bring up is the fact that now you know, when you're younger, when you go, I'm going to pat you down, or when you let somebody know that they're detained, they're not free to leave, and I'm going to do this, and they look at you and say, no, you're not, at that time, they go, you go hands on. You don't, it's kind of like a violence of action, it's bad, bad wording, but yeah. the quicker you can wrap them up, the quicker... Because now if you're like, oh, shit, well, now I have to play fair. I have to wait for him. Like, no, as soon as someone tells you no, they're squaring up. They're not They're not going to do what you tell them. Well, what, what, what I hate most about that story is this guy's... Is, is, is re- the cowardly act that he's doing, that he's not willing to take his own life, right. and he's going to put it on, on other people to do something that he wants done but won't do himself. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, that's that's but, disgusting. You right. know, it's so you. so I, I struggled with that in terms of it wasn't necessarily the shooting itself. But, you know, now moving forward, I had had that perception in my mind was, you know, as a young officer. Now, again, you're asking me, you know, moving forward, you're saying hey, now now I'm being questioned about my ability to do the job. Now yeah. people are wondering, you know, can this guy pull the trigger? What right. Needed, right. Yes. Yeah. SWAT guys. Right. Yeah. And other guys that I know. Yeah. Do I want this guy next yeah. to me? You imagine going to the range on training day and you got these guys lining up next to you and you're standing there looking at a target and your only perception is that these guys are already telling you, hey, man, why didn't you? The fuck is wrong with you? Right. So that has a play moving on and throughout my career where I started to make decisions where it was fit for me right. to survive. And those decisions ultimately will lead into what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Was that was that the? Did you say there were two before? Yeah, I had a traffic stop in 2011. All right. Uh, where I, uh, I passed the gas station at night. It was probably two, three in the morning. The car was backed in, and uh, it was blacked out. When I passed it, I saw multiple heads in the vehicle. The gas station was closed, pitch black. Um, I didn't stop right away because I didn't want them to see my brake lights and turn and take off on me. So as I passed them, I went around the, the cul-de-sac and I whipped the Huey blacked out. Came back, they saw me, and they sped off at a high rate of speed. So I got behind them thinking it was probably a burglary uh, interrupted. I call it out. We start going through some side streets real fast, and I can see everybody inside the car. It's like a small Toyota Corolla, you know, and I can see all the heads inside. I see the per- person in the back looking back at me. Everybody in the car started covering their heads yeah. inside the vehicle, and I can see the pa- back passenger reaching out of the, win- the back door, the window, to put, a, uh, put his hands and open the door. Mind you, it was about 78 degrees to 85 degrees at night in the summertime in Central Florida, and this guy had gloves on. You can see the dark black gloves on his hands in the back seat. So he goes to pop open the door. The door is open, and they're swerving through side streets. He ends up slamming on the brakes last second. I almost hit the back of the car, and uh, everybody bolts out the vehicle. And I get in a foot pursuit, and I go right after the driver. You know, I saw, I saw everybody kind of scatter, and I locked in on the driver. By yourself at the time? By myself, yep. yeah. Yeah, still, you can see that was probably a bad decision. Huh. Went after the driver. We're in a we're in a It's a decision. Yeah, a decision. It's, it's so. easy to say that now, but sure, sure. Yeah. So I go after the driver we're in a foot pursuit. Um and as he, as he's running, his hands are in the front of his body. I can't see his hands at all. And I'm I'm actually running behind him. I'm closing the distance on him. He's a big boy. And I see him looking back at me, he's got a mask on while he's running. Mind you, it's the middle of the night. Right. He's wearing a mask. Pre COVID. 
pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not talking about <laughs> I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about full. Right. Like, he had like a stocking over his face. Right. And he had a hood over his face. So you're talking about the oh shit feeling. Yeah. It's not normal even yeah. even in regular foot pursuits that everyday encounters. Man, my adrenaline's going. I've been a cop for seven years, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Eight years, and I'm still like holy shit. Yeah. So I'm chasing this guy on foot, and I see this, and I'm going. Everything in my mind is going holy shit. And uh, I pull my taser as I'm running, and I yell taser, and I fire a taser at him, mm-hmm. and it misses. And at the same time that I do that, he turns towards me, and he reaches his arms up like as if he's pointing at me. That's all I can see him do. And I, I dropped my taser, pulled my gun, and I fired. And he actually dropped on the ground right in front of me, called it out, shots fired. This guy's laying on the ground. There's nowhere to take cover, so I start running backwards trying to find somewhere to hide. And this guy stands up and turns and looks right at me, facing me head on. Yeah. Probably 15, 20 yards. He's looking right at me. Doesn't say anything to me. I'm challenging him. Get on the fuck on the ground. Get on the ground. He turns around and he just starts walking. He walks <laughs> that behind the house. That mindset blows my mind yeah, every he wa- time. He walks behind the house and he disappears. And I get on the radio and I'm like, hey, this guy just fucking walked away. So obviously command staff gets on the radio. Hey, take cover. Don't move. We got units coming. Perimeter gets set up. Um, I can see him sitting on the side of the house behind the AC unit because I can see his his hoodie right. and his beanie. And I see his head moving, but I, he's not coming out. He's not responding to my, my challenge. So I'm thinking he's wounded. And uh, he ends up getting up from there moving. So our, our chase, our star helicopter yeah. comes up. Long story short, about four or five hours at the perimeter, they can't find him. It's now daylight. And uh, a unit gets on the radio during the, during the daytime, day shift, and he goes, hey, can I get a description of this suspect that we're looking for? And I get on the radio, and I said he's wearing a white striped shirt, long sleeve, black gloves, Blue jeans, white shoes, hoodie, mask, the whole nine, right? He goes, I got one at gunpoint. <laughs> this guy was like probably 100 yards out of the perimeter, way out there in the middle of nowhere. He was soaking wet from his head down to his toes because he was swimming. And um, he, told the, he told the officer, I don't know where I'm at. I'm trying to find my way back to this area. So they end up arresting him, and they didn't find a gun. They asked him during a – Did he get hit? He didn't get hit. Oh, okay. He didn't get hit. So they asked him during investigation, did you have a gun? He, he refused to answer the question. He didn't deny not having a gun, but he wouldn't admit to it. Okay. He just said, did you guys find a gun? And they It's probably at the him. fucking bottom of that pond. <laughs> so they kept asking him. He wouldn't yeah. admit to it. He got convicted ultimately and then again. So second shooting, right? About three years after my first one. And, and not just the, hey, we're glad you're okay. The scrutiny again. Right. right. Yeah. Number one, you didn't hit him. Number two, did you see a gun? Number three, why did you chase him? So you can never do something. Fuck Dude, you right the now. toxic culture of law enforcement is just spewing you can out never of you. Do, you're literally, you, you do your job, you, you try to protect and serve, and you try right. to protect yourself. You make split second there's decisions. In those, in those it, minutes, there's nothing but scrutiny. In cop work, there's, it's, it's constant scrutiny. There's no, there's no one person that goes, this is what you 100% fucked up. This is what I, as an experienced officer, would have done differently. Other than that, you're, you're alive. Let's go back to work. And it, it ends. It, it, it is just constant. There's people that leave agencies because of the scrutiny that they get for stuff and like this. The, this is the correlation. We highly and and special operations. And the higher you go, the more scrutiny you get. P- people think it's actually the opposite. We we get absolutely scrutinized, and we do it to ourselves, but in a very different manner. Um, I don't mind the scrutiny because scrutiny at, at on the on the flip side of the coin is 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 a lesson learned. Let me scrutinize what you did. Sure. Let's look back at this, see how we could have done it differently, but still through the lens of you were making split second decisions. We right. have all the time in the world to think about what you could have done, what we could have done better. 
Right. And so next time when you're in this environment, you can make a better decision. But I understand why you made the decision you did in the heat of the moment. Sure. And there's no there's no leeway for split second decisions. And that 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 upsets me. In law enforcement, the scrutiny is to try to slander your character. Yes. As, a, as an officer and as a person, like people will go, he's a fucking moron for this decision. They weren't even there. Right. They weren't exactly. even the people that weren't even working that day. will take what they heard and go, what a Dude, fucking idiot. And it's like, this. bro, people that weren't even hired with you, you'll, you'll have recruits that come later on and, and they'll be on the field and they'll talk about you. And you're like, who the fuck are you? And they're like, they don't know you, but they've heard from somebody else. Right. So, so just the amount, like you said, how toxic it is. Yeah. But it, it takes it. You got to be strong. You got to get into that lion's den again. Going back to young age as an officer, going into it now, it's a whole right. different perspective for me. Because well, from what I learned, well, and I've yeah. spoken on this. You, I, I've sometimes an asshole on scene or after the post incident because I won't let that happen, and I'll get into it with somebody trying to challenge my character, and I'll be an asshole to them because you just can't, it's like you said, you, these, the other 25 people watching are going to sense that if you go, you're right, man, you're right. You're done. You are done. You might as well fucking quit and leave because no one's going to respect you. Even if you're wrong, you have to defend why you made the decision. And, and then you it, have to tell it comes down to, you have to tell that person to go fucking suck a dick. And that's what it comes down to. <laughs> Ultimately standing up to what, what it is that you do. You have to stand by that. And you have to go all the way, which will lead yeah. to now in our, our conversation about what happened to me in the end and what I stood. I ended up standing firm on my own. Yeah. Well, and before we get into that, uh, and we're not doing this on purpose to make it a teaser. Sure. I just want to, you know, sure. chronologically uh, get there. One thing that really stood out to me uh, when me and you talked the first time, mentality is huge with me. And sometimes it's it's. I don't know if you're, you're born with it or it's something you cultivate over time, mm -hmm. but you were mentally strong enough to deal with what happened to you that, that we'll talk about next. Sure. But what I want to talk about is, is that something that cultivated basically through these two incidents and, and got you, it's either going to make you better or, or weaker. You, know, you either build on it or was it something that you've kind of always had and you're like, you know what? Yeah, I, I knew I'd made that mistake. I dealt with it. I, I moved on and yeah. that's all I can do. So I, was that something that cultivated through these experiences or you've kind of always been wired that way? I, I think it's something that cultivated over the experiences and over the years of, uh, as I started to develop confidence and question my career again, over some of the guys that I saw, uh, I respected early on. And if they challenged me or they questioned me, it made me question myself. This is a guy that I look up to, you know, uh, in the agency and then and then of course uh, I had marital issues in my career like most cops do and it started stemming into my reputation you know where the the fighting and the arguing of my my marriage was spilling over my career you know with the cops being called and and I was married at the time to a dispatcher you know so our our problems were all over <laughs> Is there, you know? is there something you'd you'd like to say, Tyler? No. Okay. <laughs> just uh, just that you are you are just like me and everybody else. You are the cliche model fucking new guy. <laughs> I was. There's six billion people in the world. You pick a dispatcher or yeah. or nurse or nurse. <laughs> and it was everything internal was happening at home was was coming to the agency, and everybody knew your problems, and every officer wanted to fuck your wife, and you know it was one of those just constant just bombardments of stress. Yeah. And it took me coming in as a young naive you know okay type of guy and i ended up learning to become a savage yeah. ultimately where yeah. i realized and it's, life, it's not who you are 
No. It's not who you walked in as. No. And not it, at all. And, and becoming a savage, there's things that are really good about that, I that's think. That's what I said. But that's, that's a good thing. Because that savage mindset that you developed, I look assure you, you now. I assure you, you, yeah. you, you brought with you to the business. Look what, look what you pulled up in. <laughs> yeah. You don't get that not being a savage. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's um, years of realizing I can either quit uh, at life or I can, I can take advantage of it and say enough is enough. And I hate to say it. People, you can disagree with me all you want and you're wrong. It's that simple. It is that simple. Those are your two options. Uh, the, one of my favorite sayings that uh, uh, a friend told me was, hey, man, it's, it's six feet forward or six feet under. That's the only two options you got. Yeah. You're going to yeah. be six feet under at some point. Might as well keep going forward. Right. Let me tell you a comment that somebody made, and I, got, I know we're not there yet, but uh, when my incident happened, the last incident, there was jokes being said at the squad, mate, squad meetings about me. I, I was very proactive in my career. And I stand behind that. Uh, my statistics showed it, right? So I was—I was very—I had a lot of pride in what I did. I had a lot of pride in the product that I was providing, services for the community. And I was a predator when it came to going after bad guys. They were predators against. The you were wolf right. hunting wolves, baby. Say it all it. the time. That's all I was, right? And and that can also shed a, a light on you, on amongst your squad mates. You can be looked at as dirty. You can be looked at as questionable, right? So I I had the mindset of going out there. And, and stopping cars and getting into the cars and getting my PC and, and locking up bad guys. That's what my thing was. You're going to DOC when I'm done with this, right? That was my mindset. And um, the squad mates would say, I heard a joke come out when I was out on bond, and they said he used to take 30 arrests a month, and now he's facing 30 to life. And they were laughing about it. Yeah. And mind you, I still had a connection to law enforcement because I still had a lot of friends, small friends in a small circle that were telling me, people are talking about you, they're laughing about you. So obviously that was burning inside. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yep. It cultivates who I am today. I said the only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to come out this. I'm going to win, and I'm going to make sure nobody can ever take advantage of me again. Yep. Nobody can ever take advantage well, of me again. Well, I mean, look at. Can you imagine if you had what our society be like today, if you had a squad full of useless running around? Just fucking crime up left and right. I mean, and that's how it used to be back uh, in the we'd day. We'd reduce crime. Holy <laughs> shit! I mean, can you imagine if out of a squad, or did of, all get fired? A squad of ten dudes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a squad of ten dudes that had that mindset, the crime would be at least displaced at yeah, best. They go somewhere tell you else. The other thing about it, I, I didn't have IAs, and I talked about this before. Almost twelve years, I didn't have IAs. I had two for my shootings. I wasn't in. I wasn't in the office for misconduct. I, I've worked with officers that've been on the job for six months, that are riddled in IAs. Yeah. Misconduct, bad. I never, I never had IAs because I didn't do anything outside of doing my job. Yeah. And I don't had, I had one PC hearing in my entire career. That was like the first year. After that, every time I had a case, the state attorney's office would either settle, say, "Hey, would you take this? Would you take that?" Or they're going to prison. I went to jury trial probably three times in my entire career. My cases were solid. I made sure I was up and up on all my stuff because I took pride the same way I moved into art entrepreneurship. Yeah. Mindset and dedication. I did the same exact thing when I went to work. If I locked you up, if I didn't have enough, I didn't take you. If I had enough, you were going. There was it, the charges were sticking, you yeah. know, ultimately, because of how much pride I took in the product and the quality of well, that. Service. And when your admin doesn't berate you over every decision you make, now the defense can't go pick you apart in trial and go, "Wow, he's been in IAs ten times." Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. It was bullshit. It's the fact that you've been in IA ten times. A defense attorney is going to go try to kill your your uh, credibility, character. absolutely, your, yes, yeah. character, absolutely. Well, do you guys have anything on these first two shootings before we move into the middle part of the episode? 
No, that's or that's exactly. We're gonna save the bread, the 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 meat and potatoes, the bread and butter of this podcast for the end, which okay. is what we'll go into. But the first thing I want to do is give a shout out to Zero Nine Holsters. Right, ruggedized equipment proudly made in America for cops by cops. So this is a Ohio-based company that uses injection mold and plastics and Codex Thermoform. I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? It's good. It's good. <laughs> Thermoform material, which makes it super easy to clean. So when you get blood, shit, come all the stuff on your equipment, it's, it's wipeable. I watched the video of it. You can take it off super easy, wipe it off, and you're good to go. They have radio holsters, BWC mag holders for pistol and ARs, uh, pepper spray, handcuffs, flashlight. And I finally figured out the canine equipment they have is for all the cool gadgets that canine handlers have, or just like they shot, they shock their dog or they open the doors. They make custom gear for all of that stuff. Um, I went, I went to go visit them at shot show at the, at their booth. Are they as quiet as they seem? They seem really humble. Oh, they're, they're super humble. They're super professional. Their booth was very professional. Their equipment. I've, I've, I've seen all their equipment before. Yeah. They, 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 they showed up like professionals. They were cool to hang out with. The ruggedized cases allow for a quick draw and return to the holster rather than shapeless cases where you have to look, which is paramount when, especially handcuffs, when you need your handcuffs and I have a hand on you and I need those handcuffs, I need to pull them out. Right. And then obviously when you're putting something back and you still don't want to look like a fucking retard, it slides right into a molded hardened holster. So you can go to zero nine holsters.com to find shops near you that sell and distribute zero nine. Or you can head over to their shop and use promo code antihero Z910. Antihero Z910. And you get 10% off your order. And then we're going to go right into the dumbass of the week. But I have a twist. Okay. I'm going to use the dumbass civilian of the week. So. The power of I'm, being a co-host. I'm, <laughs> I'm intrigued. Go on. I'm going to give the cops a break for a minute. <laughs> Why does it have to be a cop? It could have been anyone. I don't know. could have been any first responder. <laughs> so but it this, does always end up being a cop. So this happened in November of 2023. Marines in dress blues who brawled with civilians in Texas, not I facing saw, charges. You guys I see saw this? That. Yeah, I saw that. I, I, yeah. So what happens is there's a... Brent, I mean, we're old and wise now. We don't really go out too many times. And on top of that, if we're going to go out, we're probably not going to go out with guys that get some bar fights. However, your team days, my paratrooper days, you're hyped when you're out there with 10 dudes. No one's going to mess with you. You're high on testosterone. You're rolling deep. Yeah. You got some alcohol in you. You know, Brent gets half a Modelo in him. He's ready to fucking rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) And... Shit happens, especially when you're dressed as sharp as those guys. Marines have the best dress. Well, they do. Hands yep. down. I mean, they never have to change them. The Army's tried yeah. to change them. they know like, it. Yeah. They know it. So there's not really much insight on what happened, but uh, the video starts outside of a bar where two clear, two or three clear thugs are in the face of Marines. Now, there are some Marines who are like, hey, guys, we don't want to get in trouble. Let's get the fuck out of here. And then there's most of the Marines that are like, if you fucking touch right. me, I'm going to kill you. Right. Um <laughs> Turns out there's some shoving. Uh, the the one perp that ends up getting on the ground, the one shit bag, throws four punches and connects with this Marine at least three times. Doesn't fucking phase him. <laughs> Said Marine throws one fucking punch, knocks homeboy on the ground, and then his buddy comes over and secures him. <laughs> and, and recorded for all the world to see. And 
And uh, you know what? A lot of people are like, what took the cops so long to get there? Well, the first thing is, you know, as a cop, we all know, or me and you know, a fight between 30 people, I'm not jumping in the middle of that. This sure. is a mutual cop. Of course not. Second, I'm not going to get in the middle of a fucking bunch of Marines that are whooping the shit out of everybody. <laughs> I'm going to wait for you're my let, friends. You're going to let them cook. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? Don't pick fights with Marines. That's what makes you a dumbass. It's not that you're a dumbass for fighting. It's not that you're a dumbass for being a civilian. It's you're a dumb. I wouldn't go out there. If I saw 15 Marines in dress blues, I'm not going to go fucking pick a fight with them. You're just going to end up on the ground. Glad it happened. Couldn't yeah. happen. Sounds, sounds like it couldn't happen to a better person. Trust me. When you see this guy, you're going to be like, yes. <laughs> well, I'd, we have a, a great hero of, of the week. This uh, happened in Baltimore. Although it, is, it didn't, uh, it happened in, in 2022. Uh, it just recently came across my feed, and it is, it is worth bringing back up. There is a guy in broad daylight raping this girl at knife point when the cop shows up. Cop shows up, see that he has a knife. It looks like the knife is to her throat, is raping her on the ground in the street in broad daylight. Yes. Cop decides uh, it's, it's go time, uh, and I'm, I'm going to start shooting him. And what I love most about it is that he shoots him and shoots him and shoots him. He damn near empties the he clip. He does. It goes and, empty, I think. And, and this guy and gives immediate justice to what is probably one of the, besides pedophilia, the biggest dirtbag. The most there. heinous crime. Yeah, the most heinous crime. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, no need to send that guy to a judge and jury or, or any prison time. Uh, his fate was decided right there by the police officer. And I don't put a lot of comments in an Instagram uh, post, but for that one, I, I had to. And I said, not all heroes wear capes. Today, this one wears a badge. So good good on you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, riddance. it's the type of cop good to riddance. talk about. Yeah. Good riddance. Yep. I mean, yep. you have a – that cop recognized this guy's got a knife to her throat. I don't have time. If I have a shot, I'm going to take it. And then if I have 13 more, I'm going to take them too, which he did. And his defense, he was still moving and tried to get back up and does have a knife. Justified shooting all day long. Of course, people like us, like, how could you, how could you not applaud that type of bravery sure. and effort and decision-making? And you go into the comments. Don't get me wrong. Plenty of comments applauding that cop and, and loving what he did. To see that there were any comments, and there were a few, a few too many, that were like, he didn't have to shoot him that many times. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. well, Un unbelievable. Well, you know more than anybody. I mean, you need a brain or a spine shot, right, to to to, to drop somebody. When you're shooting in a high stress, as a street cop, we're not trained to for accurate position shots under sure. stress. We're reacting. He, this guy got out of his car and f saw what he happened. He's taking point-blank shots at a body that's moving, right? He knows right. that these you can shoot— the torso and the organs 15 times. That guy still Ask 50 was cent. moving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so it just goes to show you that somebody with a knife, you can unload an entire mag into and be backing up. That person's still going to come until their organs start shutting down. Of course. Which, you know, so maybe he knew that. Maybe he was just like, fucking send it. Who knows? But hero. Hero. Thank yep. you for your service, sir. All right. Spe speaking of shooting people, is that a bad is that a bad segue? <laughs> this is uh, uh, you know, this is this is this is a story that you know that that we brought you here for, and I and I've yeah. enjoyed really the the thirty minutes of the stories that, that I didn't know leading up to this, and sure, uh, let's 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 talk about 
well, as we refer to as the incident. Yeah. Let's get into that. Yeah. So, uh, and it's going to get better <laughs> as, as, as the update. The yeah. Reminded me to give you the update okay. as of last month. Okay. It was 2016. I worked the night before. I was on the night shift in Central Florida in the county sheriff's office. And I was, uh, I went over to my ex-wife's house. We were, di- we were divorced uh, sometime. I love January. this story already. Were you working? I was off duty. So I worked the night before, and then I went to sleep at my ex-wife's house. <laughs> we, were, we were split, but we were cordial, right? So Why do you do that to me? <laughs> I don't. Why do you do that to me? <laughs> you know? I have questions, but just continue. <laughs> yes. That's all part of the learning process, right? <laughs> so if you're, if you're watching this, listen and learn. So we I'm were there. cordial. <laughs> So I'm there. I'm, I slept there, and that next morning, uh, it was Father's Day. I went. I had a flat tire. I went to go change my tire, and that's what led me out of the house. I had to go. I, I changed my spare tire in, in the garage, and I left, and I said, I'll be right back. I went and got my tire changed on my way back. Um, I was on driving on a main road, and a vehicle was coming out. It looked like he was going to run the stop sign just on, the, on his speed. My perception was there's no way this guy's going to break in time. Right. Uh, but – as we both came towards each other at the last second, he slammed on his brakes. I slammed on mine. I kind of swerved my vehicle to avoid him hitting my car. And I noticed both of the occupants throw their arms up. Oh, it was a oh I wasn't going to pull you over, but now I am. Yeah. It was a Hispanic male driver and a black male passenger. And uh, the car was like a lowered Honda. And the windows were down so I could see them. I was driving a Hyundai Elantra. Uh, I had 5% tint across all my car and my windows, and that's important. Story. Oh shit! You weren't working. I, I forgot duty. about this part of the story. Okay, I was continue. Off duty, yeah. So, I continued driving to my destination where I was originally planning to go to my ex-wife's house. That's the route I go. It's a long stretch down what's called Emerson Emerson Drive, and uh, it turns into a dead end and goes south. There's, it's all, it's literally at that time was under construction. There was nothing but cows. There was no people there, non-existent at that point, right? So up till we got there, it was all houses. As we're riding, uh, I see them in my rear view. They're starting to pass cars, catching up to me. And I was like, fuck it, there's a light here. By the time I get through the light, they're probably going to turn. Not yet alerted. And as we went through the light, I look in my rear view. I can see them kind of like he's punching his car uh, from behind cars. Right. Onto oncoming traffic. Getting waiting. the peak. And when the vehicles passed, he would go around them on oncoming traffic. And he would get behind some more cars closer to me. Eventually, he closed the distance and he got right behind me. And he hasn't done nothing yet up to this point. And we're still driving. And once we got to a section where it was a long stretch of road and there was no houses, there was nobody else, he decided to pull alongside of me on my left side, on my driver's side. Well, you say he's done nothing. Old, but Bold maneuver. Yeah, nothing except for drive aggressively behind you, showing you that he's going to try and something. Sure. Yeah, a lot of intent there. Yeah. Th- there's there's yeah. intent there, but my biggest question Your blinker's point, out. I just wanted to let you know. Right. So I, I'm still thinking there's still houses. I'm like, I haven't really done anything to him outside of what he just what almost happened to us. Other than that, I'm thinking this guy might just leave because he hasn't he hasn't got a response from me. Right. Yeah. But he doesn't. He pulls alongside of me. The black males hanging out of the window. They're yelling, cussing at me, trying to get me to pull over. I don't. So he starts to he starts to wean his vehicle towards mine like he's going to hit my car all over a stop sign, all over a stop sign. So I start to brake. Because I don't want to crash into his vehicle, and there's curbs. I can't go around him. That he almost ran. (laughs) Right. So he he ends up pushing me to the right. I go around him, and I start accelerating. He comes back, starts accelerating again. And now I'm on the wrong side of the road. I'm driving, and he's driving next to me. The Hispanic male now is yelling and screaming, and he's kind of forcefully jerking his vehicle towards mine. 
So I start breaking again. Now he stops the vehicle. Passenger gets out of the car. Looks like he's going to run towards my door, and I drive, and I almost run him over at that point. So I went around him, continued. They jumped back in the car. You purposely did not run him over. You went around him. I went around him, yeah. but it almost looked like I was going to run him over based on where he was at, but he jumped back in the car before. So as I'm driving now, this is the last contact before we get out. I'm driving now towards the dead end. He's driving. He speeds up next to me. Now the road is going to end here, and I can only go south. I can only go left. On the right, it was construction, so you couldn't go north anymore. There was a car parked right there, and I testified about that. I saw the vehicle parked there. I used to park my car there with my ex-wife and kids. We used to walk all the time. There's a long stretch of sidewalks. I see the vehicle there, and I'm like, shit, somebody will see us right here. As I pull up, he shoots through the stop sign, and he tries to block me in. In his vehicle, in, in the pictures, you'll see he's past the stop bar in the middle of the intersection. So he passes the stop bar, he stops, and they get out. I go around his vehicle. You're still and driving at this point. Still driving at this point. As I pass him, the cars, the civilian vehicles to my right. As I pass him, I'm like, dude, I'm good. He's like, fuck you, fuck you. You know, he's yelling all these N-words and uh, all this other shit that he's yelling at me. I go south a little bit. I'm thinking they're going to get back in their car, follow me. And I, I stop the vehicle and I get out. I'm, I'm well probably 10, 15, 20 yards from him. I get out and I'm like, dude, I'm good. By the same time I'm doing that shit, the black male passenger is already running at me. Six foot four dreadhead he's yelling he's yelling some shit like what's up pussy what's up as he's running at me you know and he's throwing up his hands he's coming at me the hispanic male now if i'm if i'm looking at you and your car's over there you're the guys he's coming at me straight on the hispanic male is coming at a wide he's, he's running flanking he's, he's flanking yeah. me so i lose sight of the hispanic male because this guy's just fucking coming right at me right like he he's bull on he's coming wider here i see this big dude coming at me and he turns his body and he's like reaching his hands so the same time I'm yelling stop, I draw my firearm from the front of my waistband. I pull it. Oopsies. I fire. I fire fast, rapid shots, and that's what I testify to the jury. I pull it. Boom, 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 boom. I fire until until he stops. And ultimately, I didn't know how many rounds I fired, but it was six. One hit him. Hit him dead on. Split his spine in half. When I hit him, he was running, and he stopped in his tracks. The second he stopped in his tracks, his hands fell. His head dropped like this. He didn't say a word, and he fell straight back hit the ground and he never said a word at that same time i realized somebody else was there i forgot about the other the other guy i realized it because everything just came back to light yeah from being so dark came back to light and i seen this guy running towards his car for his life he just lost motivation he was fucking gone he was running yeah. and i see him and i'm like okay he gets behind the car now the car is sideways right if you're me his vehicle's facing this way he gets behind the driver's passenger side door, and he gets behind the engine and ducks. Now I have a guy in the road, nobody around. I'm standing there, and he starts propping his head up and down. I'm like, oh, shit, this guy's going to fucking shoot at me from behind the car. That's all I can think of. I didn't think, you know, help me, nothing. I was like, this guy's going to fucking shoot at me. So I, I see him. I jump in my car, throw it and drive, 911. 911. It rings for about a minute on the recording. You can hear it. <laughs> Fucking rings forever. I'm still driving. They get on the phone. Sorry, you're in the wrong jurisdiction. Stay on the line. We got to transfer you. Okay. So they transfer. By the time they transfer me, I'm at my ex-wife's house. I pull in the driveway. I run inside. What's going on? I give them information. I said, hey, there's a, I shot a guy. He's in the road. He's over here. They have the recording online. You know, I said, he might need an ambulance. This is what happened. He might need me. an ambulance. <laughs> you know. They attacked me, so yeah. that's what happened ultimately. Well, he right. fucked around and he found out. Right. Well, the thing about it too, if, when we get into it uh, later on, the history. So these both of these guys were wearing red from head to toe. When I say red from head to toe, I mean beads, shirt, 
pants, laces on their shoes, bandana sticking out the back, bracelets, right? Hat, everything was red. Chicago Bulls, everything was red. Blood gang members documented in the state of Florida by prior police reports. All that stuff could not be used during the, during the trial because, gonna be, say is you because they were victims and because I didn't know they were know. gang members. But, but even though that those are all, those are all indicators. Right. And then do, so do indicators not not play a, a role? Doesn't doesn't know as well as the indicators of their actions and nope. the indicators. Are, those are all called indicators. So can't, so can't be brought in. Can't be brought in. Criminal history. Thanks, lawyers. SWAT, SWAT search warrants on his history of, of the deceased. He, ultimately, he, he did die. The um, SWAT search warrants on his history for for weapons on felony probation the day he died for having a gun as a felon. Right. Aggravated battery on a pregnant female with a weapon on his charges. Uh, Arrested two months prior for having 2,000 images of child porn. Are you doing the Lord's work? But on, but on the news, Absolutely. but on the news, it's a officer shoots unarmed father, and he was a drummer in the church is what they were claiming. They used a photo from junior high school. That's right. And they, and they <laughs> used oh, a photo yeah. of him holding a child. Now, Why they that was that? all used and brewed. Right. And protests began. Of course. Right. I gave, I gave my statement with my attorney to FDLE three days later. On what happened. Now, they allowed you some downtime, like as if it was an on-scene shooting, like you were Yeah, working. it was three days later. They brought me in, and it wasn't even an interview. It was an interrogation. They were challenging me. They were telling me that's not true. Was your lawyer with you? Yeah, he was with me. Okay. They were, they were um, how do I say it, bracing at me? Like they were, uh, I don't know what the term is, but but he was like balking at me. Like, there's no way. How long have you been doing this job? FDLE. So if you don't know, oh shit! If you don't know, um, in the state of Florida, except now in his department, but because of this story, but ninety nine percent of agencies in the state of Florida, which is probably most states, when you have a shooting, the agency steps out of investigation, and the state, which is FDLE, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, steps in and investigates, as in an unbiased entity that's just going to go, you know, and it, it it makes sense, you know. If you were to worry about corruption or anything like that, you don't want your own agency investigating your own uh, shootings, except when shit like this happens. Yeah. So um, the agents in the interview are, are really telling me that's not true. Uh, you're a 10 year veteran. Why would you why would you even get out of your car and try to talk to these guys? Why would you even try to reason with them? You, they just try to run you off the road. You claim they just try to drive on the wrong side of the road. Why are they so mad? And at one point, the agent tells me, well, did you do anything to him? It's totally fine. Did you shoot him the bird? I said, no. My windows, <laughs> my windows are 5%. You can't see me inside. He goes, well, maybe you rolled them down. I said, no. Well, did you, did you splash his car with your windshield wiper while he's behind you? No. Did you brake check him? No, I didn't brake check him. So they're, they're trying to find a motive. Right. They're, they're trying to justify why he was mad. Right. And it doesn't make sense to them why he would do what he did to me. And I said, I, I don't know why he was so mad. You know, I can't tell you why. You could tell these guys have never been actual street cops in their lives. Why would somebody do a heinous act or a crime unprovoked? Right. Why would a gangbanger yeah. commit a yeah. more crime? <laughs> so, so, we get, so we ultimately end up getting into an argument during this interview, interrogation. I told the agent, I was there, you weren't there. This is what happened. And the agent told me, no, that's not what happened. This is what happened. I said, dude, how are you going to tell me that? So ultimately, the, the interview went south. You can tell that their emotions were involved. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple of days later, they told me, hey, come get your cell phone from evidence from the, from FTLE. They, oh, so they subpoenaed your personal cell phone. They took my cell phone because they thought I shot a guy because he was sleeping with my ex-wife. 
That's what the news reports were, that it was a love triangle and that I was jealous. I didn't even know the guy. Solid police work. Case closed, baby. Listen to this. They took my cell phone. They subpoenaed my phone and my ex-wife's phone. They wanted to see our records to these guys. They didn't subpoena the guys, the dead guy's girlfriend's phone or the driver's girlfriend's phone. What if I was sleeping with them, right? And they were mad. They never subpoenaed their phones. They only subpoenaed my phone and my ex-wife's phone. Oh, so the intrusion, really, on your personal life. And, and you are a cop, so it is a fair assumption that that could be happening. It's a fair. It's, a, it's, a, it's based on our prior conversations, yes. right? So it's a fair assumption, right? But they they have no. They're not taking my word for it that I don't know this guy. They're not investigating fairly. No, no. Now I'm claiming self defense from the very jump start. Now, and and Florida you have the stand your ground law, mm-hmm. right? It's a whole complete different investigation. You have to put on a d- different hat. Okay. When it comes to the stand your ground, you have to. Do they have, have to be finished with the first one to start the? You have to. De- you have to determine whether or not now the elements are met in a stand your ground. Okay. Right. There's several elements of it, and it applies to. Every citizen in the state of Florida, that you have the right to defend yourself if you're not committing a crime, you have no duty to retreat, right? They don't they don't look at it like that. They're, they're treating it as a homicide. Okay. And they come to my house, they grab my video camera at my house, at my ex-wife's house. They want surveillance video. And several days go by. They say, "Hey, man, you can come get your cell phone." My lawyer calls me. He goes, "Hey, you can go get your cell phone from from FTLE's office in Coco. You're ready to go." I had already got a new gun from the sheriff's office because they let me qualify with a new gun, and I was supposed to go back to work the following week, right? So I go up there. Agent talks to me on the phone before I get up there. He goes, hey, man, uh, you're on your way. Yes, do you have a firearm? I said, yeah, it's in my front waistband. Critical, right? Oh, I doesn't doesn't say leave it in the car, nothing. Okay, cool. So I get there. I'm not even alerted to anything because I didn't do anything wrong. So I get there. I park my car. I get inside. I knock on the door. It's locked. Knock on the door. Where are you at right now? I'm in Coco in the FDLE office. FDLE office, okay. So I knock on the door. I hear the bolt open, and the door opens. Here's a guy in a suit. Hey, brother, how are you? I'm good. Come on in. How you doing? He shuts the door, and he locks it. I'll never forget. Shuts the door, and he locks it behind me. And he, t- and, he and I turn towards him, and he goes, your phone is right inside that room right there. The door was open. Damn, it's like something out of a mafia movie. So I'm like, cool, man. So I start walking, and I'm talking. Right, He's got me in the zone, and he's like, how you doing? Did you see a, psych- a psychologist yet to go back to work? I said, no. I'm going to see one. He goes, good, brother. You should do that. It's all good. As I'm breaking the plane in the door, there's a takedown team waiting for me on the other side of the wall. Get out of here. And they jump on me, and they're all from Orlando's FDLE fugitive squad. They have fugitive vests on. And it's just, boom, they jump on me, and they're screaming, and everybody's going crazy. And uh, I'll never forget it, man. It was like a twilight zone, you know. I'll never forget that day. Can you imagine the just what? the disheartening feeling you felt in that moment? Well, well, I can. I know you lived it, but I'm back, dude. You're I talking know. Talking about betrayal, you're talking about dishonor, everything you can imagine. So your, your level of trust. When a police officer says, "Can I talk to you?" Fuck you, right? That's that mindset. After I get it. You now. Go through something like that, right? So, so they pick me up and they're shaking. And I got the handcuffs on there sideways. You can feel everybody. The guys are holding me. They're all shaking. Everybody's shaking. And they pick me up, and they go, hey, they go right from my waistband. And they pull the gun straight out. Hey, we got the gun. They're all talking in front of me. I'm in an office room. There's a TV on. Are there so cameras? There's a, hmm? Is there cameras? I didn't see any cameras. There's about five agents in tack vests, and then a whole swarm of them came inside with suits on. One of them took a picture of me. As soon as he walked in, everybody was on their phones. They were doing some briefing. Hey, we got him. This and that. They sit me down. I'm sitting there, and everybody's just kind of standing around. And I'm sitting there, and the guy walks up to me, and he goes, Hey, man, puts it in my face. He goes, We got a warrant signed for you 30 minutes ago for second-degree murder and attempted murder. You got a no bond, so you're going to be headed to jail. Sorry about that, man. It's nothing personal. 
I said, fucking bullshit, it ain't. Oh, Feels shit. Personal. Very personal. personal. I, yeah. said, I said, does my lawyer know about this? Does my, did my lawyer set me up and tell me to come up here? He said, no, we're going to tell your lawyer now. I said, why didn't you guys let me turn myself in? Why didn't you just get me that? He said, we did it for your safety and ours. I said, what safety? No. I didn't do anything right. wrong. The, the same yeah. courtesy that they would give a criminal yeah, to turn themselves in, yep. that they don't right. give their own. Wow. So that was the moment that I realized, and I say it before, shit is getting real. And, and I felt so small. I felt so irrelevant. Yeah. I felt so empty. Your identity so I, just turned on you. I was Your gone. whole world. I was gone. You, you I, felt like, I felt like the enemy. Do you ha- now, here's a question real quick. Do you have a significant other for a support structure? Now? No, at the time. No, I was I was divorced. Yeah. So at best, you have your ex-wife who you're cordial with to to lean on. And maybe. we were and we were cordial on and off. Yeah. So, so you have nobody in your life. I have nobody. All your right? brethren turn on you. Yeah. Everybody that I I thought was there, right? So um, that happens, and they um, they say, "Do you want to make a phone call?" I said, "Can I get my phone out of my car?" Which or, we do. No, for- no. I, I said, "Can I get my cell phone?" And they they told me, "Your phone is not here. It's in Tampa." I said, "So you don't even have my phone." I showed up here. You don't even have my phone that I'm supposed to use. I don't have a cell phone. And they said, no, it's in Tampa. I said, why would you guys lie to me like that, man? Like, like I, I haven't done anything wrong. And they said, you want to use the phone? They brought a phone over. They put it on, and they put it on speaker. I called my first person I called was my ex-wife. She didn't answer. I called my mom. She didn't pick up. And I called my sister. When she answered, I spoke in Arabic. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so speak Arabic. Ooh, twist. change up. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was very upset, and I was like, fuck these guys. You know what? And I spoke in Arabic, and then, uh, and then I spoke in English in front of them. I said, yeah. hey, listen, I just got arrested. I got charged with murder. Uh, don't worry about it. Tell everybody it's fine. Don't worry. I'm okay. Uh, call my mom. Call dad. Get a bondsman. And I'm going to jail. I need you to call my lawyer right now, please. And she was just silent on the phone. It was just a fucking moment of just. Yeah. It was unbelievable, man. It's like I, even when I describe it today, I can't believe it, you know. And uh, the agent just stood there, and she she sat there. She said, "Okay." I said, "Just just call mom. I'm okay, and I'll call you guys soon." So they hung up the phone, and uh, the agents gathered me up, picked me up. They shackled my feet and my hands, and they walked me out of the building in front of everybody outside. Which I don't get no special treatment. I understand that. But well, here no. Here's the thing: when cops have to go to jail, this happened at the agency I work for. You used to work for. The cop was wrongly. Tr- I say wrongly charged. Uh, the 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 court system and the and the state did him dirty. Not the law enforcement didn't do this guy or FDLE didn't do him dirty, but the the state and the defense did him dirty. They had a they had a grand jury trial that they didn't tell him about. Uh, the grand jury was like, yeah, based off what you're telling us, this this guy stand, should stand the trial. Uh, they went and dropped a, a warrant for second degree murder on him. However, because everybody had his back, he was gentleman's walked into the jail. By admin, by the captain, you know, and you as a cop, you do get treated differently in jail, as you should, because of all the people that you put behind bars. You're not. This, I do believe that it should be different treatment for a cop because you're a fucking target. No, I, I agree with that. And there were some. I'll get to that once I get to the county jail. But um, they walk me out in front of everyone. They they put me in an unmarked car and they start driving. They have an agent behind me and one obviously driving. The agents didn't even know how to get to the county jail. I'm not lying to you. They were on Google Maps. I was going the wrong sh- way. Did, did, did they ask you? No. I was like, I, I, dude, no shit. I should you not. I was like, dude, make it right here. And he's like, oh, Google Maps says go here. I was like, dude, you're going the wrong way. Just make it right. Trust me. Like, I go here all the time. I'd give him directions to Taco Bell. So, yeah. Uh, oh, while so we're here. I gave him the directions to the jail. We get there. And, uh, of course, they cleared the whole jail out. And they walk me in. And then they have the fucking warrant all fucked up. I'm not, I'm not bullshitting you. Yeah, the warrant me. was wrong. They had it wrong. They had to go redo it. And I walk inside. Everybody huddles up inside the county jail. They're all reading the warrant. And uh, it was it was that moment that I realized, you know, that the jail guys, you know, that I had had a lot of encounters with when I used to go to booking. But those jail guys, very respectful, 
you know, kind of gave me a couple hugs and yeah. said, hey, man, you know, I'm in their territory now. I'm in their world, which I'm not used to. And they said, hey, man, just keep your head up. You know, everything is going to be all right. Just just keep your head up, whatever you do. Just, you know, keep fighting on and hopefully get through this. You know, those were the those are the people that I had had words for me when I was in there because I didn't have anybody else. Um, but immediately they put me in a holding cell. They stripped me, stripped me out of my clothes and I had a first appearance with the judge coming up. The media was already there. So the media had already been notified prior that I was getting arrested. So it was all pre-planned. Media showed up before my bond hearing was even set. And my lawyer shows up. I didn't go into the bond hearing. I elected to waive my appearance to not give the media that ability. And um, Wait, so you didn't have a bond hearing or you just didn't go? I had a bond hearing, but my lawyer showed up for okay, me. Okay. And the judge denied my bond. Even as a, even as a citizen shit. of the county with ties to the community, kids that lived in that county that I had, Never been in trouble. The judge denied my bond because of the scrutiny that was coming with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they tell me, hey, man, we're going to haul you off to Seminole County, which is a neighboring agency. And that's because you are a cop. That's because I was a cop. And because I was in that county, I couldn't stay there. So they said, we're going to have to send you to another county as a courtesy hold. Who, what, what judge did that to you? I don't remember the judge's name at the time because those, those judges are usually like pre-hearing judges that okay. just show up. So they moved me to Seminole County. I got on a van. They drove me about an hour there. And, again, I knew the guy that drove the van. I knew him for years. It was a very just a weird time. We talked in the van. Just, you know, it's troubling for not just me but for the people that are experiencing that too, you know. Just kind of sitting there like, sorry, man, like I hate to have to do this to you, you know. So we're driving, talking there, and I, I just remember looking out the, the small um, the small breaks in the window that were blocked. I can remember just seeing my freedom. You know, in the nighttime as I'm riding and I'm, I'm just thinking in my mind, I don't know what to think, but my mind is just all over the place, you know, as I'm thinking about it, saying to myself, you know, where do I go from here? How yeah. do I survive uh, this? What do imagine. I do? Be honest, I'm, I'm can't shackled. Imagine. I'm handcuffed. Yeah. Uh, I don't have no family to, to be there for me. Uh, I got denied bond and I don't know what's coming next. So I felt very empty and I felt very, uh, very dead, but alive. But I felt like, you know, this is the end of my life, you know, basically for what it is. Yeah. Um, get to Seminole County, strip me out of my clothes. They moved me to a, a holding cell. They, they give me a questionnaire. And, I, of course, I answer all the questions, and I said I'm not suicidal on the questionnaire. And they moved me to another cell. They don't tell me about it, and they strip all my clothes off. And I'm not wearing any clothes. I'm wearing a small little turtle vest. It's not covering anything. And I said, can I get a blanket? Why am I not wearing clothes? And they said, you're on suicide watch. I said, I'm not suicidal. They said, it doesn't matter. We're overriding it. So Holy I stayed shit. in that so cell. You don't, do you, are you completely naked? You're naked. Holy fuck, bro. There's a camera in your room. And they open up the blinds every 15 minutes and they check on you. So you're naked in that room. There's a toilet in there. There's a camera in there. And you're sleeping on a concrete square. You don't get a pillow. You don't get a blanket. You don't get anything because you're suicidal, right? I said, I'm not suicidal. So the breaking point for me now was, was crashing. Yeah. yeah. Not only am I now in jail, you're now taking all my resources for me to even just to sleep. Yeah. Right? It's cold. There was a small window in that cell that, that led up to another wall outside. I couldn't see nothing. So I'd stand there and look at it, and all I can see was the sky. That was the closest thing to freedom. That was the closest thing to reality I had, you know. So I stayed in that cell for about a week, and that's when I, I think I had the hardest part for me was, was the hardest breakdown I had, where I was my, at my weakest point, at my lowest point, at my darkest point in life, where I questioned, you know, where does this go from here? How do I survive this? That's where I was the most vulnerable. Plus, because you have nothing but time on your hands 24/7. To, to think about everything i'm sitting there i'm I'm listening at this point i'm listening to people screaming all night in the cells bashing the fucking doors officers getting under it he's throwing feces you know i'm i'm sitting there with no clothes on listening ah you know all night right 
and then an officer comes in there. And by the time they check on you and you try to say something, hey, hey, real quick, they disappear. Like, they don't want to fucking deal with you, you know? Yeah, they, they yeah have you're other, complying. Other you're yeah, making it easy for they them. They have other shit to <laughs> yeah. do, right? So that goes on for about a week. Yeah, they do. I'm going to just stop you there. They, yeah. But they know who you are. Of course. Like they, I, I, yes, they're busy. I expect some sort of professional courtesy there. Yeah. Knowing, knowing the story, they, they have to know that, that there's at least your side of the story out there that's self-defense. Yeah. And I know for a fact there is a fucking dumbass supervisor that made that call about you being on Suicide Watch. And um, that does take senior guys going, uh, Sarge or LT, you're a yeah. fucking retard. We're not doing this to one of our own. And yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take this higher above you because this is wrong because you're yeah. you're you're afraid to help out somebody in blue because of the scrutiny that comes with it. Yeah. So ultimately, they, they held me there for about a week and the doctor would come see me and talk to me through the through the window. And mind you, I was about one hundred thirty five pounds, you know, frail, skinny, the whole nine. And he says to me, how do you feel today? Every day. I said, I fucking feel fine. I need a blanket. I'm cold. <laughs> you're why naked you got, still. Yeah. Why are you guys doing this? Yeah, naked. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're trying. A doctor's asking you to be open with them yeah. and vulnerable as you're yeah. sitting there fucking naked. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, for anybody watch, listening to this, when, you, when that happens to you so fast, like the first time I had to fucking piss in a toilet while they're watching me and standing there, I, I didn't know how to. I couldn't because they took all my dignity away, right? So I had to. If you're to just level. now joining us, he's not telling a story about being a prisoner of war. He's talking about being a cop in a jail, in a self-defense, yeah, self-defense uh, case. Case. So, about a week later, they, the doctor interviews me, and he, his main question is, "Okay, you feel good today. What happens if this case doesn't go the way you want it to? Then what?" I said, "Then I survive, and I learn how to survive in prison." That's what happens. Love that mentality. I said, "I'm not gonna fucking." Right. I said, "I said they're not gonna take nothing from me." If you think if you think I'm going to hurt myself, you're wrong. I said they're trying to do that to me, and they're not going to do that to me. I will not do nothing to myself. I said I'm going to survive, and I'm going to. And I told the doctor, I said I'm, they're not going to beat this case. This is bullshit. Six feet forward, six feet under. It's only after two options a couple you got. days, yeah. After a couple of days, they moved me out of there. They moved me to my permanent cell, which was what's called ISO. It's a cell. Everybody's on the same same side of the wall, so you can't see each other. Um, you have a small window in your cell that faces uh, the wall, where the officer walks in every hour. And checks on everyone. If you're sleeping underneath your blanket, they'll call your name. They'll bang on the door, have you stick your head up, make sure you're alive. Um, so they moved me to my cell, and the inmates told me that's the same cell section that George Zimmerman was in. That same that same area, ISO. There's no there's no TV, there's no radio, there's no luxuries at all. The the lights stay on all day. They don't turn them off, and the room is probably smaller than this than this corner here. It's smaller, so you have a bed attached to the wall. You have a toilet and a camera right above it and a wall and a bright, nice, bright light. It's about 60 degrees in the cell. You have to buy your own clothes. You have to buy your own extra under uh, long johns, socks, underwear. You got to buy all that 60 shit. 60 degrees? I would say it's 60 degrees. It's cold. It's cold, it's cold as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I ended up buying. Like I had plenty of money, family support. I ended up buying multiple. Put it on the books, mom! Yeah. I ended up buying multiple long johns and, and shit like that, getting warmed up now. Fast forward, I'm there for, I would say, close to almost three months. I had three bond hearings, and they were all denied. Jesus Christ. So I'm on, I'm at this point, you know, I'm, I'm kind of not defeated, but as time went on, I began to tell myself, I'm, I got I to gotta figure this out. I, ha I have to learn how to survive. I can't have a victim mentality and lose. So I'm here. I'm hoping for the best. But if this goes south, I have to be ready. So now I'm preparing myself, and I talked to Brent about this off off camera before my fear wasn't going to jail and i say this to anybody who doesn't understand my fear wasn't going to jail my fear was what i was going to become 
if I had to go to jail. Survive in jail. My fear was what I was going to have to become, yeah. right? Because I wasn't going to go in there and be cordial if that's the environment you're going to put me in. You're going to throw me in there. You're going to put my, my back against the wall. You know I'm a cop. You know I have all the dangers and the signs against me. Now I have to get in there, and I have to be savage level times 10 at any, at any cost necessary. So those were the fears in my mind. How do I get this? How do I do this? I began training, and I, I talked about it before. Jail is Wait, a so did you get out eventually? I did get out eventually, yeah. You remember this is kind of to bring some light of it. You ever seen that movie Get Hard with Will Ferrell where he thinks he's yes. going to prison? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need you to train me for prison. <laughs> how, how long did it take you before? So you, uh, you, you just said you were there for at least three months waiting th- for, for bond hearings. Yeah, but I wanted to tell you the experience I had with the inmates. Long time. I, the inmates were talking to me. They yeah. knew me because they saw me in the newspaper. Mm. Uh, jail's about jail's and, about manipulation, and they get the story from the newspaper, which yeah. is already screwed yeah. up and manipulated. Well, it's screwed up, manipulated, but at some sense, it was weird because they they had some sort of respect for me. These are guys that were going back to prison. One of them is actually doing thirty three years right now for home invasion. These were some bad guys, and, the, and and there was some sense of respect that they began to kind of treat me with. And um, the jail's manipulation. I tell people all the time. I knew I had to survive. Even though I couldn't see these inmates, there was a hot shower. And y- if you went in that shower first, it was hot. And then it got cold. So they brought you out one at a time to take a shower. So in order for me to get the shower first, I had commissary. Everybody in that cell was broke. They had negative balances. So when they wanted Skittles and they wanted a magazine and they wanted socks, I bought them because I had so much. I had officers give it to them. But the rule was they knew that I had the shower hot. I, I had to shower first. And they would tell the officer that. Yeah. And now the newspaper, you had no communication at all with the outside world other than a phone whenever they gave it to you. So the newspaper was your current events. That was your life to kind of stay alive. And the newspaper would come and get dropped off in the morning. They usually drop it off to the first cell. The guy would be sleeping, hold it for hours. So the inmates knew if you wanted commissary, I needed that newspaper first. Even if I was sleeping, they told the officer, throw it under Hofstra's cell. <laughs> the officer would slide it under. And they would ask me, hey, did you read the newspaper yet? I'm getting up right now, and I get up and I read it. And I would read the obituaries. That's how, that's how much, like, you would read every single line. Yeah. Because there's nothing to do. Like, oh, man, you know, James Wells died. Wow, he's a grandfather. Okay, cool. <laughs> Poor <laughs> James. Oh, shit, you know, because you had nothing to yeah. do, so you read everything. Yeah. 83. L- long yeah. life. Good for him. Long life, right? Yeah. And when I was there, the Pulse nightclub shooting had happened. That's the same time I was in there. So everything was about Pulse. And then the six Dallas cops got shot yep. Yep. while I was in jail. Yeah. And they celebrated in the, in the pod. They were screaming and chanting, and they were yelling and banging on doors and fuck those crackers. Like they, they were, they were saying it loud and clear. And I just sat there, listened, and they knew I, they knew I was a cop. And uh, they, they never threatened to harm me or nothing. They put me on the recreational yard. I went outside three times in three months and saw daylight. And twice on the recreational yard, I was out there with inmates. You know what's, you know what I take away from all that is that the outlaws, the lawless, respected you. And your brethren, the lawman right. and your brethren turned their back on you. 100%. Now, there was times when I would eat. They would serve us food three times and while I was in jail. They would serve you through your door so you wouldn't leave. They'd give you in a to-go, to-go box. they slide it through your trap of your door. you sit down, and we'd eat. And we'd sit by the door so we can talk, the inmates. And they, they would, uh, they would, you know, we would talk about our food, and some of them were on certain diets. And um, certain times of the night, you know, I'm Muslim, so, you know, I started to kind of, dig myself into the faith to keep my spirit up. Yep. And there were many nights that inmates were crying and screaming in the middle of the night, and they would call on me and say, hey, what are you doing? And I'd sit there and say, I'm just reading. I'm reading out the Quran. I had a Quran and a Bible in my cell because I wanted to read both. Just such a dark place yeah. to be in. You, you kind of want to hang on to everything. 
And you got to kind of give you spirit, you know. Yeah. And you got time. Yeah. And you got time. So uh, the inmates would say, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm reading, reading from the Quran, reading." Say, "Read me something." Well, what do you want me to read? I don't, I don't like. Right. This is kind of weird. They yeah. said, "No, re- read, read to me," and I just start reading to them. And again, it took me to a place in my life where I, w- I wasn't before. I didn't know how to get to it, but I had inmates calling on me, and I started feeding them. And we'll move on to the point where I'm getting out finally. Well, I got a question just sure. real quick. Yeah, months with these guys that you you are able to converse with them. Yeah. They ever ask you, "What are you in for?" You ever get a chance to kind of explain they, they, your, no, your version? No, they, they knew what I was that? in for. They actually told me over the walls, yelling, "Don't talk about your case." They would tell me these are these are seasoned inmates. Yeah, they would say, "Don't talk about it. Uh, don't tell nobody nothing." He said, "They said they'll have snitches inside the cells here, trying to communicate with you to build a case on you." And then they even told me, "Don't talk on your phone too much. They're going to use your cell phone. They're going to use your phone recordings against you at trial." Mm. Um, so these are inmates that were right. that were coaching against right. the process. Again, the only people looking out for you. Yes, are the inmates. And um, and I and I talk about that too to get to Crazy. that level. When I was leaving, they were crying. And an officer that let me out of jail, who's in Summit County today, if he ever watches this video, can attest to it. They, they, um, I asked the officer if I can say bye to them because I had, a, I had a sense of guilt when I was leaving. I was happy to leave, but I felt I had, I had already communicated with some of these guys. I learned a little bit about who they were, and I just saw that the, a part of their life. Obviously, they're, they're these guys are man are, are ag battery LEO, fleeing elude. I mean, they told me fleeing elude, home invasion. These are all different charges each one of them had, and they were going to DOC. But when I was leaving, an uh, officer let me walk up to each cell, and I dabbed up the cell with my fist. And these inmates, man, going to yeah. prison were telling me, man, you got this, bro. Like, you're gonna, you fight this, you're going to win. You don't belong here. You're yeah. not the wrong person. It's fucked up, but you got this, man, all right? I mean, so it, it, was, it was a moment for me again. It was uh, such a roller coaster of feelings uh, when I was leaving. Like I said, the sense of guilt. Uh, but it, it, And I'll say this. The jail was a curse and a blessing for my life moving forward. But as I got out... I uh, saw my mom, and we immediately, you know, left left the jail. They put a, a GPS bracelet on my ankle, and the agreement was if I if I want to get out of jail without having a bond hearing, I would have to pay for my GPS monitor. It's three hundred and twenty dollars a month. I would have to pay for it. And you got a job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I had to I'd have to pay for it, but I did it for five years until my trial came. At that time, when I came out, I was broke. Yeah, I was. I was you wore money. a bracelet for five years. Five years. My, 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 my shooting happened in 2016, and we didn't go to trial until 2021. You gotta be kidding me. So, so I had a so the 25 so the second degree murder was a was a mandatory life sentence. By the way, on a conviction, mandatory life sentence with a firearm, and the attempted murder was 25 years. So for five years, I lived with a level of uncertainty where my life was gonna go. Holy and shit! I lived. Really, with just a, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison if this jury trial goes wrong or something goes bad, right? So I'm living, right. but a part of me, I'm watching my kids grow, and I, as I look at my kids, I don't know where I'm going to be. I'm going to ask some stupid questions, but I gotta, yeah. in, in this, in this five fire. years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I assume because, it, but you're not charged yet. You're no longer getting paid as a deputy. They they fire you or at least suspend your pay. Well, you're not you know, convicted as, yet. Right. I'm, not con- so, I'm not convicted yet, but so what? Do, you know, what did they do with you job wise during this massive amount of time? Yeah, in, so in the interim, immediately I get suspended without pay okay. while I'm in jail, and my lawyer approaches me, and my lawyer, by the way, was a uh, he was a PBA lawyer at the time, and it gets better because the PBA decided because I was off duty and I didn't identify myself, they they dropped me. Wow. They said we're not going to represent you. While I was in jail, the lawyer uh, notified me that PBA doesn't want to represent you. I said, dude, they labeled this case officer-involved shooting. I used my service department gun. 
I'm all over the news as a deputy. How are they going to use everything against me as a deputy, but then tell me that I'm not a, it's not classified as a law enforcement case? The, the FDLE is investigating this as a law enforcement case. He said that uh, the union doesn't want to represent you. I, I have to drop you. PBA, but come on. Nah, come on. It just, it's, it's just a, I have to, it's just a reoccurring theme of yeah. everyone who's supposed to have your back. Yes. Does not. It, so, and I'm sitting there at that moment. So everybody's convicting me in their own mind, right? Everybody's convicting me already. I'm sitting there in front of my, my lawyer. I go, what do, what do I do now? I don't, I don't like, I don't have money. And he says, well, you got to get a lawyer. I can represent you, but you have to get a lawyer. All right. You can, I can represent you. So my family obviously is distraught and they go and they say, no, we want to fight this fight with the best of the best. They hire Mark Knee James' office in Orlando. And uh, my lawyer says to the PBA, he's a former cop, 30 years from Daytona, and we're best friends today. And he says, I'm not going to leave your side. I'm going to stay here with you. You don't got to pay me a penny. But oh, I want to make, make sure they understand, whoever represents you, that there's a law enforcement side of this that needs to be brought during the trial. Experience, training, mindset, the whole nine. A criminal defense attorney will not know that. They're going to take this as a um, just a shooting. But there's a there's a police aspect to this, right? So he stays with me, and um, I get my, my bond. My bond gets set, and I come out. And uh, like I said, I'm paying for this for five years. And we prepare to go to trial in May of 2021. During this time, we have multiple motions and hearings on the case, and every motion we file is getting denied by the judge. Do you think, I could save this question for the end, but do you think all this is happening true? If this had happened five years earlier, I mean, you, I guess you could debate when the BLM movement like really started, but it's in full swing at this point. Yeah. Is this, is this, do you think this, all this is really happening out of fear of and, and retaliation, so to speak, for the, from the BLM movement? I think so because we found. I don't want to put words in your mouth. It's just a question. I, I I don't know. I think I think so because um, there was videos of the families. They were protesting. They were doing they were doing protesting as well, and they had a protest on Facebook that we took the video of where they said, "We've been blowing up the state attorney's office. We've been pressuring them. We've been protesting outside their office. We demanded an arrest, and we told them we're not going to stop until they do. And today we got an arrest. Okay. Now we're going to continue until they prosecute them and send them to jail. So they bent to the mob rather. They bent to the mob, and and um. There were people coming out and speaking about this incident that had no business speaking. And I'm going to say it right now on here. There's a guy by the name of Larry Carter. Yeah, he, he, You should name every single yeah. person he, he, he publicly He publicly spoke about it on the news media. His right. name is Larry Carter. He's a self-proclaimed law enforcement expert in Brevard County. He did 30 years for Melbourne PD and some other agency. Um, he's an he's a, he's a African-American cop, and he prides himself by using the African-American community to try to claim that he's for them. Right. And instances where he's really not. And uh, this guy doesn't know me from anything. And he comes out and he talks to the news media and he goes, you know, and it says on your expert on his name. And he says, there's never an instance where you ever leave the scene of a crime. You never leave the scene of a crime. Every cop knows that. Why this guy would leave the scene of a crime after a shooting. It's, it's a red flag. But then he says. Only in a circumstance where your life may be threatened, I can, you know, that's when cops usually. <laughs> so he has no idea what he's talking about. He has no idea what he's talking yeah. about, but he's he's putting fuel on the yeah. on the he's, fire. Right? He's looking for his five minutes of fame. He's looking yeah, for and, his fame and, and his niche. He's trying to get his into niche. politics. Yeah, he's trying to he's trying to do the politics side, and he puts himself as a law enforcement expert, and he 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 dabs his name into it, and he has nothing to do with it. So he, he ultimately puts himself into the middle of it, and I'm like, I'll address this later, you know. So he comes out, he does that. Facebook, they're protesting. 
and uh, the police department, the local police department at the time, Palm Bay, they actually had like a community march where they marched with like the family. The police department did? The police department did, yeah. Jesus During that time, Christ. they marched with the family. You know what? I get it. I, I don't get it. I, I can see. That yeah. I can't even see it. It's one thing for them to not support you. It's another thing to pick a side. As cops, you never pick a side. Right. Every cop's argument for not supporting you is going to be, hey, I'm a cop. I'm a lawman. I can't pick a side even though he's a cop. Right. Well, That's bullshit. We all we we watch our backs. And yeah. I know just being a cop, hearing your story, I would have been behind you 100%. But there is an argument to saying I don't pick a side. But then to pick that side. Yeah. So the other, uh, the other obstacle to this is, remember, uh, I was with that agency for eight years and I left. And obviously when I left, they weren't happy about it. You know, of course, I'm going to better myself. Um, so there was opinions, you know. Uh, he's this, he's that, whatever. Now, the shooting happens in their jurisdiction. You know, a former agency I used to work for, I had problems with my ex-wife and that, and that agency, you know, at that, in that community. And I had a lot of former friends that I wasn't friends with anymore. So it happens in that department. So I'm ver- they're well-versed about me. So, so they decide they're not going to be involved, but they're going to have FDLE, but they're writing police reports on my case because they're the cops that responded. Give you an instance. A canine cop shows up from the agency Palm Bay during the shooting, and he does a police report. Now we have about 300 police reports during my discovery. We're going through them, and the officer says in his in his police report, "I showed up on the scene. I patted down Hispanic male driver, and then he got in the car with FDLE. Nothing else found." And he ends his his supplement right now. His supplement is zero two zero sixteen dash one two three. Everybody has a supplement, right? Same case number. Now we're watching this guy's interview. He's got four interviews on video with FDLE, and he's crying, the driver. And he goes, I know I'm going to go to jail. And the FDLE agent says, why are you going to go to jail? He goes, for the drugs you guys found on me at the, tra- at the time of the shooting. And the guy, FDLE agent goes, we don't care about the drugs. Tell me about the guy who shot. Tell me about him. I want to know about him. So we're watching this, and we're going, what fucking drugs are they talking about? We didn't have no drugs in our discovery. So we start skimming through all the discovery. There's no drugs entered. So we start doing a public records request on every officer involved. And comes up this canine officer who did a search of this driver, put in his report. He searched and found nothing. Case closed. Same day. Has a completely different case report under the same incident. And says, while on scene, I searched the Hispanic male driver. While searching him, I found a bag of marijuana in his pocket. FDLE advised me to dispose of it. I submitted it for destruction. Case closed. So we're like, okay, hold on. People want to find a motive. People want to find answers right this is a this is a homicide investigation you mean to tell me you can take drugs from a crime scene and dispose of it while you're still trying to find a motive and i'm telling him this guy was aggressive towards me we should know that he was on he was high at the time that he tried to attack me what was he high on was it cocaine laced marijuana what was it right we don't know we'll never know because they got rid of it so we bring him in for a deposition it's all on public record they ask him tell us about the drugs you found on the driver Canine guy's response, I never found drugs on him. Okay, please tell me about the drugs you found on the driver that day of the gun. I never found drugs on the driver. Is this your police report? Yes, it is. Read it. Yes, I read it. It doesn't say anything about me finding drugs on him. All right, is this your police report? The second one. Read it. He goes, oh, shit, I completely forgot about that. Uh, yeah, I completely forgot about that. He was listed. He was listed as a Brady witness in the trial and immediately removed by the state attorney's office. Good. This is an officer going against me, yeah. right? To bury me, bury me alive, and you're gonna you're gonna tell me to fight for my life, and you're gonna take away every piece of evidence that that should be supplied to a jury when I fight my case. You're gonna eliminate evidence 
and have me fight an unfair fight, that's not right. So I was determined to go after every officer. Second officer involved was a supervisor who, mu who years prior to that, I was a witness to an IA that she was involved in. I was just a witness. I wasn't even involved. I was just a witness where she was drunk driving off duty. And she was pulled over by an officer, and I was there. And I was asked on a recording, what was her demeanor like? What was her facial expressions like? Do you think she was impaired? I wasn't even asked, did you give her breath? I was asked, did you, did you think she was impaired? And I said, out of everybody watching, complaining, and screaming that she almost ran us over and ran people over, she appeared, she appeared impaired to me based on my experience. I'm an IA. I'm not going to lie for you yeah, right. <laughs> and lose my credentials and, get, and lose my certification, right? The other officers involved said they don't know, they don't think so, whatnot. I didn't hear their testimony. Long story short, because she, she got a ride home, she posts on Facebook months later, just got suspended 40 hours thanks to my Middle Eastern buddy. Now, mind you, in the agency, there's 170 cops. There's only one Middle Eastern person who works there. Not I wonder why you left, right? Right? So I, I, I bring that up to IA at the time of that incident, and they told me she didn't name you, so we can't do nothing about it. I said, all right, well, I'm just letting you know I'm the only Middle Eastern here. Unless you guys have one you want to introduce me to, it would be cool. Right. And they go, we can't do nothing about it. Yeah. Now she's can't a, or won't. Now she's a supervisor on my case of the shooting. She has a shit. She writes a statement about me mm -hmm. in there about I interviewed this person. So she does like a really piss poor investigation about who she talked to. So I said to my lawyer, she needs to get removed. She's biased. I don't like her. She don't like me. And I'm not going to fight a case where I have people who are against me. She needs to get out of here. So they bring her in and they go, tell us about your relationship with him. And she goes, he's cool. And they go, do you guys have any beef? No. Well, do you hang out with him? Well, I don't hang out with him, but it's higher by. And the state attorney's sitting there, and she knows about every everything that was I was involved in. And she says, listen, she stops the interview, and she gets off the record. She goes, if you have a problem with this guy, they're baiting you right now. They're, they're, they're baiting you right now, and they're going to get you. You, ne you need to speak up so you can get out of here if you don't need to be here. And she's like, okay. She crosses her arms. She goes, I, I don't fucking like him. I hate him. Bold. <laughs> I don't like him. I hate him. You know why? Well, you know, he, he just... Did he, did he, was he a witness to a case against you? Uh, I just don't like him. So e even, even the fact that I was involved in something that I wasn't involved in and I, I gave my true testimony to, I became an enemy in the police department, right? Now this lady is against me when I'm fighting for my life. She gets, she gets uh, listed as a Brady witness on public record. The, basically, she was, the, the state attorney told the judge she was not truthful. Do you know what that is, Brent? No, I don't. So that is a list what the state attorney has. I don't Brady, I'm assuming, is the first guy to fuck it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the state attorney has a list of cops that do not have credibility in court. Um, so pretty much if you get caught lying, if you get caught during your investigation lying or a testimony lying, and for some reason you're able to keep your job, which you shouldn't be able to, the state attorney is like, cool, you let him keep his job. He's never going to fucking testify in this court again. So all of your reports, if you arrest anybody, they're free. It's just like, hey, okay, we get it. You're keeping him. We can't make you fire him, but he will never be a part of any investigation or court process in the state. And some counties now have a list where they're required to, to provide a list of all Brady witnesses. So let's say, let's say you become a Brady witness. You're, you're done. You're on that list forever. Right. Right? State attorney has a case that they really want to fight, and they got a dog attorney, yeah. defense attorney, who's going to eat, eat this case up, and they're really – you're the star witness, and they're like, oh, shit, this guy's a Brady witness. We're going to have a problem here because this attorney is fighting for this guy's life. They're coming after you now because yeah. you're a Brady witness. Now your credibility comes in play because they'll target that Brady list to the jury. 
and say once you become on a Brady list, you're not credible anymore. You've right. lied. You've been untruthful. So okay. why why should we take you now? Yeah. So those two become Brady witnesses, ultimately, and they get removed. And our, our witness list goes down from about 20 or 30 down to like three by the time we get to the trial. I pick a jury trial. It was uh, around the second week of May. They notify me in 2021 we're going to go to trial. So, you know, I'm prepared now. I'm thinking all along all these years is probably going to get dropped. No, they're sticking to their guns. They're going to go to trial. They're going to prosecute me. They're, they're coaching this kid, the driver. They're coaching him. They're, oh, yeah. They're helping him yeah. out. They're, they're, he's, the, he's the home run hitter for them. And um, we're prepared to go to trial because we're like, hey, this guy is going to show up and he's going to be what he is, is naturally a thug, you know. So we go to trial. I have five women and one man on the jury. And the jury trial lasted from Monday to Friday. It was five days. Deliberation? Deliberation was 45 minutes. Oh, that's either really good or really bad. But listen to this. There's a kicker again. The state attorney's office had already been beat down in the trial, in my opinion, on their, on their case. Now, I took the stand. I testified to the jury on what I did, why I did what I did. state attorney looks at me during that case and says, when you got out of the car, couldn't you just have fired off a shot to the side? As he's charging you at full speed? Yeah, he wanted me to fire off a warning shot. Into somebody's house? <laughs> Dude, I was like, that's right. criminal in itself. Yeah, absolutely. Firing a gun off, it's criminal right. in itself. I said, I would right. never do that. He goes, well, you heard testimony of the lieutenant who said that there's no houses. I said, Dude, I would never fire off a warning shot anyways. There are houses there. But could you imagine somebody on an ATV or someone out just just, just play the devil's advocate, you know? What up? Um, the Brianna case. You ended up dying. The NFL, you know, got behind it as well it was brianna something uh she no one to side track it but it, it 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 goes to this um she was uh at spending the night with her drug dealer boyfriend oh, brianna, taylor. Brianna, brianna, taylor. Brianna, taylor. brianna taylor and yeah. one of those police officers Shot got charged yeah. because he randomly discharged his firearm sure. and in, in into the room rather than yeah. identifying his target Yep. So you're absolutely right. You so don't just randomly fire. You your, don't have your, that luxury your, as a cop. No. Right. And let me tell you something. What, what so you're damned if you do, you're damned if you damned don't. Damned if you do, damned yeah. if you don't. With that was, line of question. The scrutiny they were challenging me on was I didn't, I, I didn't identify myself as a cop, which there's no there's no law in the, every, anywhere in any law book that says, while in course of off-duty, you must identify yourself yeah. if you're going to do this. So they were really stretching every realm, and they were telling the jury, he didn't identify himself. He had a badge. He didn't flash it. He didn't do this. Well, they were going outside of the scope of right. the case and the law. And they and when, must not understand the OODA loop process sure. as someone's charging at you. Yeah. Correct. You, you Prioritize. Correct. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and, and, they asked me, and they asked me when you shot him, you left. I said, I did. And you didn't stay. I said, I, I couldn't have. There was another suspect on the scene who just attacked me. He took cover behind a car, and, and he, I didn't know if he was going to shoot at me. Well, he didn't have a gun. You know that. I didn't know he didn't have a gun. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, you so, know that, not so, me. So, right, you know yeah. that now. Now, the case, is, the case is over, right? Everybody's testified. The state says, oh. We have one more witness. We didn't know this, right? Who? The defendant's ex-wife. Uh, the defendant is lying. We asked him a question today if he's ever had road rage, and he said no. He's lying. His ex-wife's going to testify to that. So they bring her in. Mind you, this is the cordial one. No, we're not cordial anymore. <laughs> this is fi fi five years later. We, we, I, like I haven't seen my kids for two years. Oh you know, God, from alienation, man. and we're 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 in, a, we're in an active court battle, yeah, right? Yeah. Over over custody. And the state, what do they think about? Let's let's work to let's work to to separate this family even further. Yeah. Let's work to let, let's work to make sure they can never even co-parent. 
by 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 making the state get involved yeah, fuck, and use her fuck against the them. kids and and their future and their well being and their fuck relationship. the kids and their future and their father. Let's do what we can now to just appease the public. So they bring her in. She gets on the stand and she testifies that I had so much road rage that she can never she can't even remember how many times she tells the jury, and she gets cross examined about her. I don't want to say uh, factuation with me, but text messages she sent me about you know please leave her coming back to me. And so her her lies, right. which showed immediately. And she said, well, yeah, I know. But, you know, if he's going to send me a message and say that, why would he go do that to somebody else? So they brought out her motives. And my lawyer looked at her before he sat down. He said, have you ever heard the phrase, hell hath no fury? And she sat there. She goes, no. He goes, no further. And he walked away, <laughs> sat down. She gets out. We're sitting there, and I'm just, like, sitting in disbelief. Couldn't believe it. Um, they let us out for uh, deliberations. And the judge says, I don't care if it's. It's Friday night. The judge says, I don't care if it's 2, 3 in the morning. We're not leaving. You're convicted tonight. You're going to jail. And I look at my lawyer. I said, is there any way I can get a quarterman's bond to, like, get my affairs together my, for my kids? And the judge says, no. No. So I'm sitting in the courthouse, and I'm going to go to jail that night, right? My family's sitting in the hallway. They order food. Everybody's eating. The courthouse is shut down. They're not letting nobody in. And they're like, hey, what don't you eat? I said, I, I can't eat. I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I, I, I can't eat nothing. You know, my life is, th this is it. You know, it's a death sentence, man. I tell people that all the time. I yeah. was waiting for the death sentence. Right. I was waiting. To You've be, been waiting for this for years. I was waiting for years, and it was there. And now I'm sitting here, and everything is running through my mind. You know, the jury, how they look at you, they don't look at you, everything. You know, you, you don't know. Right. And um, 930 at night, they opened the doors. They said, jury has a verdict. Come on in. Dude. So we get up, yeah, I tell breathe. you, I mean, the emotions of that is just, it's unbelievable, man. You're, you know, I tell people the blood pressure up and down. I felt like I was going right. to pass out. Yeah, the heart pounding out of your everything chest. You, everything you prepare for goes out the window. Yeah, yeah, you, you can't you, prepare. You feel that. like yeah. you've been waiting for this day, and now you get there, and you feel like you can't breathe, you know? So I get there. I sit down. Deputies come out. They start filling up the courthouse. It's at night. It's shut down, but there's deputies just coming in left and right. They're standing by the doors. They're standing behind me. Families on his side now over there. Now, is this for order, or they want to just know? Are they curious about what's going on? This is no. This is getting ready. Jerry is going to give a, a, a deliberation. Okay. So their deputies coming are coming in, out, and they're standing the, between their family, and I have some of my family on my side, and deputies are standing behind me, and the courtroom's filled. Jerry comes out, and they sit down. Did you guys reach your verdict? Yes. They hand it over to the judge. I'm sitting there, have my head down, and they said there's two charges: second degree murder and attempted murder. They have to convict me on one, and I'm done. Right. One's attempted murder is 25 years, yeah, right? right? And the option of manslaughter, third option. So I have potentially three. So manslaughter, 10 to 15 years. So I'm looking at DOC, and I'm sitting there, and they say, reference to count one, second-degree murder with the jury, you know, find a defendant not guilty. You know, and I drop my head down, close my eyes even tighter because I'm like, now nah, i got to fight this 25 years. And uh, with the jury, find a defendant not guilty on second-degree attempted murder. Once they found not guilty on that, the manslaughter is gone. And the family began cussing and screaming, fuck this, fuck that. They pushed him out the courtroom. And I looked over at my lawyer. There's a picture online. You can see it. I framed it. It's a picture of me and my lawyer hugging. I, I stuck my head into his shoulder. I, I reached over and he hugged me. He put his head down. It's five years we've been going through this <laughs> shit together, you know. Like this guy was yeah. so like, he felt just so exhausted. Yeah. And it, it was so personal, you know. Yeah. And uh, we hugged for a few minutes. And I cried. And I looked up at the jury. And they were walking out. One of them looked at me and blew a kiss at me, you know, walking away. <laughs> It was just, it was an unbelievable feeling. 
to get through that moment. To you feel. got me emotional about yeah, it. Yeah, dude. I'm like, good thing I went. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Yeah, man. I, uh, dude, when I watched the video, the news was there. It's online. Can you I see it? Can yeah. I ask you? It's not really personal. You, you've openly said that you're religious. You fighting a righteous fight, the right, the most righteous fight ever, not taking any shortcuts, not taking Absolutely. anything. Do you think God was on your side? Absolutely. Because you were in the right? Absolutely. I do. I do. And, and all my faith was in God. 100%. Uh, obviously, uh, before before the case happened, I wouldn't say I was even, I'm not religious. I wasn't as spiritual as I, as I am today, but I, I do believe in God, and I do believe even against the evil tactics of the state attorney's office. I think they were wrong. You know, if, if you don't have it, don't push it, and if you don't have it, don't make shit up. And they were doing that with my life, and I felt like as long as I was true to God and God knew that I didn't do that, and what they were doing was wrong, using my ex-wife against me. How evil is that? They destroyed our, our relationship forever. Mm-hmm. You know, till this day, we don't have a relationship. It's, it's been 2021. We don't have a relationship today. The, the, how, how can we bridge that gap? The yeah. first media that interviewed me after the case, the first question she asked me, she goes, what do you do now with your ex-wife? She's like, I, I can't believe she testified against you. Every dirtbag on the street that has talked to me, that has issues in their house, or their baby daddies, they said, we would never do that. Like, why, that's would, why would you? That's a different level. That's yeah. a different level. Why would you ever testify against somebody that has your kids? Nobody could believe it. And I said the state attorney's office took advantage of every opportunity they could. They pushed her. Whatever that, whatever reason she wanted, they took advantage of every everything. Did they try to cut you a deal at, at, they, at all? They never did. Never even. Never. I told my they attorney were just from go, day one. going for the throat. You the wouldn't have, but you wouldn't I take never. it. Not that no. you take it. I have, yeah. I have recordings on, on the phone from jail. I said, I said to my mom, I will never accept a plea deal. I'll never do it. They can offer it. I said, I'll, I'll take 25 years to life. I'll ride this all the way, and I will go to jail knowing I did nothing wrong. Yeah. But I said, I will Dude, never dishonor myself. Yeah. I already knew that was going to be your answer. You know, it would, whether they had a, a deal you know, yeah. for you or not, never. I knew you wouldn't take you it. You kind of remind me, like, um, your story reminds me, and I'm not comparing you in any way because he's very polarizing, but the Andrew Tate story about how he went to prison. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. and obviously it was in another country, way different charges, totally yeah, sure. different circumstances, but um, – how he his mindset was the same as yours. I'm yeah. not I'm not going down. And if you give me the worst, it's not going to change anything about me. And and I told Brent this off record. I when I was when I got out of jail, I was 130, 135. When I was preparing for trial, I was almost one almost 180. Just fucking. My attorney my attorney actually told me this. He said, "Stop working out. You're going to look too big in front of the jury." Right. And I wasn't big. He just right. said, "Stop." And and when I tell people this again, they're not going to understand what I'm what I'm saying right now. I was preparing for prison. That was the worst outcome I could get. I could not. I couldn't prepare for it after the fact. Yeah. So I was. I was on the food. I was on the protein. I was training. I was getting heavy, and I was getting to the level that I had to prepare myself for the next level. When I walked behind those bars, I was not going to be taken advantage of, and I was going to hold my own at any cost necessary. My life was going to come over anybody else's at any level. It yeah. didn't matter, and I was prepared for that. Yeah. And that's where my mind was. I was. I, I told my mom this. I'm scared of what I'm going to become. When I get behind those walls, because I'm not going to stop. Nobody's going to come and ever take advantage of me or try to hurt me. I'm going to do everything I can, and I will do at any level. And I said, I'll I'll make sure I know who's in charge, and I'll I'll make sure I know how to how to become in charge. That was the mindset. Oh, any anywhere I was going, love the mindset. And we I referred to it earlier. I knew, I knew you'd get. I was about to ask you about that yeah. uh, because I, I knew that part of the story. Um, it just you know, we, we have a saying with when it comes to mission planning is. Plan for the best case scenario, but always be prepared for the worst case scenario. Yeah. And I think that's exactly uh, what you're doing in the same mindset. Hundred percent. And, that I, and you I didn't actually I, have. Yeah, and I didn't think I was like RoboCop, right? Going right. to go in there. I knew it was a dangerous world I was stepping into, but I knew the odds were going to be against me. So the better I prepared myself, I can diminish diminish as many odds as I can. The first odd I can diminish is the perception. 
if people look at you, you're fit, you're training, you look like somebody. Well, we know that, that being cops. Right. You, you look at somebody, you look at how they stand, their demeanor, their posture, you can already, you're already sizing them up going, this guy might not be somebody I want to fuck with, yeah. right? So that was the first thing I had to do is, was that perception. The first impression I had to make sure was, don't fuck with me. That's the yeah. first thing you're going to get when you look at me. And again, it was a mindset that I, I never thought I would have to cross. And I don't think anybody ever thinks about that in law enforcement. What do you do if you ever face the possibility of going to jail? Are you ready for it? Nobody ever trains about it. We don't have a class that says, all right, guys, welcome to the academy. Today we're going to teach you on what you need Half to do if you go to jail. the class, we quit. <laughs> right? Wait, what? If you go to jail, what are you going to do? And, and this, these are questions I've said. I don't know how the story continues because um, a part of me wants to think it probably, it's probably not that cut and dry. We could stop the story right there and say not, not guilty, and we can move right on to your business uh, aspect, which I want to talk about. Sure. Civil cases, appeals, you know, what, what did, it, did it drag on? Was there no. more after that? Or was it, was it that cut and dry? It was no, that cut no, and dry. It was awesome. done and over with. No appeals, no lawsuits, nothing. And I think for a civil lawsuit, I was prepared for it because civil lawsuit, you can use, um, I mean, a lot of things that the state wouldn't allow to, allow to be used in, in a criminal court, like the criminal history, backgrounds of these guys. I was prepared to expose it all. Yeah. Right. At a civil suit, but that never came. Was there something about the tattoos as well? They were yeah, they so, covered up. Yeah, on, so on, on he, the victim. So, so the so the the alleged victim and the that was dead victim. had gang yeah, how do you use that word victim? had gang tattoos all over his body, right? And he had a he had a big old pistol tattooed on his waistband, looked like a real firearm, had yeah. a grip and everything. The state said if we show this to the jury, it would it would appear that he's lawless, and it's prejudice. So during the trial, they showed him. They wanted to show the jury he was dead. So they wanted to show the picture to. To affect them, right? So they have a picture of him. His eyes are open. He's on the he's on the table, and they have these yellow sticky notes all over all over the screen, blocking the tattoos. On the actual uh, physical yeah. screen. Well, they have it on the on the picture on here. It's portrayed on the screen. Yeah, okay. But they have it blocking all his tattoos, just so all these stickies. But there's this there's this poor dead guy there that you know. I love how nothing in his background should be brought up uh, for his character, but uh, an uh, an angry ex wife and and road rage is is well within. And and, I, and I'll say this for all the play. and I'll say this for all the cops out there who are going well. He worked for multiple agencies. What did he do? They had over a thousand pages of my employment history. They didn't use one page against me. I had no write-ups. I, I spoke a foreign language. I had yeah. dozens of training. I was a, I was an instructor for multiple high liability courses. I was a range master for almost four years at my agency. I was an asset. I could go anywhere I wanted at that time. So I chose my career, which I was scrutinized for later on. Of yeah. oh, he bounced around. He he probably had problems. No, I, I chose what was best for me. Just like and when an agency gets rid of you, they do what's best for them. I chose what was best for me, and I picked different agencies. And here's something else I, I want to tie in real quick because we talked about it earlier when you were a young cop, you know, doing the right thing, or you know, having cultures, you know, of of being a new guy and and possibly going down that road. You don't know as a new guy and the decisions you make and and making poor decisions how they will come and bite you in the ass. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And Absolutely. it's so important to keep your nose clean and do the right thing at all times because you don't know what's going to happen in your future. And, lem and let, me, let me harp on that. Training. I know you guys probably talked about it before. People tell you training, training, training. The first hour of my introduction to the jury was my training. The first hour was flipping through every course that I took and introducing the jury. What's firearms instructor? How many hours was it? What was that course? Entail it. Tell me what does it involve? What do you do? That's why that shot hit him right in the, in the spine. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's defensive tactics? What's driving instructor? What's um, NRA handgun instructor? So that provides the jury a little idea of who you are. 
preparing them for what you're going into now and what you did. Now, look at all my instructor certs, combine my training, and then when I look at the jury and I say, I did this because this was the best decision that I could do for myself. Right. That's what I was trained to do. Based That's what I was going to do. my experience, my training. Right? Absolutely. It, it, it lines right. into your training. Right. It's a solid, it's a solid case. Right. Yeah. Oh, so let's move into uh, post you getting rehired, uh, the shout out that you want to give. Who took care of you? Yeah, and and then we're gonna move yeah. on to your, your yeah. That's right. Story doesn't in there. You you went you went back into law enforcement. I, I did. So that my, blows my, my mind. I love it. My certification expired. It was five years in the state of Florida. Okay. Um, reached out to the sheriff, Brevard County Sheriff's Office, Sheriff Wayne Ivy, the best sheriff in the country, and I say that we saw him at street cop training wholeheartedly. That's right. He's yeah. He's a he's a cops cop. He's a constitution. You know. Uh, uh, protector. Did he ever reach out to you during any of this? He reached out after. I, yeah, after. politically, I can see. I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, but he didn't march with with anyone. Fuck he stayed no. indifferent this whole time. Yeah. And that's he, did, he didn't even I, deal I, with the media, you know, because they're not truthful. Yeah. He didn't even deal with the media. In fact, he he uh, protested my arrest early on. Did he? Before they arrested me. You know, they never got a grand jury, by the way. They, they voted by raising their hands, all the state attorneys. Yeah. Who thinks we should get a warrant? Never got a grand jury. Yeah, we'll give credit, credit. Thank you, Sheriff Ivy. Thank you. Yeah. He reached out afterward and uh, congratulated me and said, whenever you're ready to come back home, the door is open. That was five years after my shooting. Hell yeah. I thought about it. I felt a little bit of sense of betrayal from law enforcement. But <laughs> I thought, you yeah, know, right. <laughs> you know, Why would you feel that way? Yeah. <laughs> I was scared, you know, but then I reached out and said, I want to come back. And he said, apply. Let's get you started. You know, I went through the whole hiring process, psych, poly, everything. And then they said, hey, your cert's expired. So you know what? I'm one of those guys, so I'm not going to be defeated. I'm going to do everything I can. I want nobody to give me nothing. I went back to the academy. I paid my own way. You paid your way through the state academy? Holy I paid my way. Fuck. And I redid the, the, the EOT course. Two-week-long course. Yeah. What's EOT stand it's for? It's equivalence yeah. of training It's or where if you were to come from another state, yeah. you have credentials. They just need to make sure you're good for Florida. Okay. So, so, you, have to take, research, so you have to do basically. all the high liability. Yeah. And then you have to pass the state exam. Right. I'm doing the state. I'm like, damn, I don't remember this shit from when I started, you know? <laughs> so I'm doing it like, fuck, you know? And I passed. So I paid my whole way, got certified. And I went back and they said, hey, you got to do FTO. I said, that's fine. Again, I want nothing handed to me. Right. By the time I'm done with this story and my story of my life, I want to make sure I tell my kids, this is why you never quit and you never ask anyone to do shit for you. You go get it yourself. If they tell you you have to go through this to get it, you go through it and get it. Don't stop. So I went through FTO. FTO is looking at me, the fuck? Like, you're really going to do this? Yeah, I'm going to do it. I went through the entire FTO process, about three months. Finished it, got certified, did, went on the road full time. Again, for those listening, the fear for me coming in and my family, why do this? If you get in a shooting, it was a fear, but I had to get through it. I had, I had to break this. There's, I couldn't sleep at night until I got through this process of my life and said, I'm going back. The first week I'm on the job, I think the first fucking day I was on the job, we got a call of a guy that said, uh, shooting on my back porch. The dispatcher gets on the radio. She tones it out. She says, uh, individual just said shooting on his back porch. We heard what sounded like a shot. There's no there's no, no sounds being heard. So we go there, emergency lights and sirens. We, we prepare to move up to his house. He's got vinyl fencing. We can't see behind the fence. Cameras all over his house. We're in a bad situation. We stack up. We have a shield, and we, we open up the fence. We start going to the backyard, and I'm thinking this guy's going to ambush us. So my mind's already in. You know, here and we as we clear the corner coming around, we're stacked. This guy's sitting in his chair, his head's leaned back, fucking pistol on the ground. He's got a clean shot to the side of his mm. head. 
matter all over the wall. He's got yeah. a note on the glass that says, tell my sister, tell my daughter, come here, lock up the house. And he's got like a laundry list of shit to do for them. You know, Damn. but that was one of my first calls going back. Yeah. Hey, can I say at least he shot himself and not you? Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. But but, <laughs> but go, going back to those fears, right? Potentially now uh, use of force. That's uh, right. Deadly force. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Uh, did you, uh, I know there had to have been a point where you're sitting there going, fuck. There, there, was. there was. There was a few instances. <laughs> what did I just do? And there, there was a few. So what happened to me then, it, it changed my life in the career aspect of even when I dealt with aggressive people that were just argumentative. I would, I would look at them and say, dude, I'm not going to fucking do this with you. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. It's plain and simple. This is what it is. I'm not here to fight with you, dude. I don't want I don't want to. Yeah. We're either going to do it this way or you're going to leave us with no choice. But I don't want to do this to you, man. I would rather you go your way and I go my way and we're done. It just it changed my life in terms of that. Long story short, I did about six months on the road full time. I got every obstacle out the way, locked up people. I, I, I became aggressive again. I wanted to make sure I got dope. I got everything I wanted to out of my yeah. system. And then I decided, you know, what, it's time for me to go. Um, you know, I'm ready yeah. to go my own way. Well, I, just, like you I finally close. I had the, to close that chapter. Yeah. The chapter in that you book. know, people yeah. say, oh, he used to be a cop, but he lost his job. Well, and that's not the case. I went back and I got my job back. And Stuck it to him, baby. It's, it's my story. Nobody will ever take it from me. That was my point. You're not going to you're not going to take something from me and tell me right. this is why. And before we go into my 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 career, I want to tell you about what happened recently. Um, the the hero driver of the car of my shooting. I got notified uh, last month around December 21st. He got arrested in the same county on the same road, Emerson Drive. Two females <laughs> reported that he was driving aggressively behind them. He drove on the wrong side of the road and tried to run him off the road. Well, that sounds familiar. He was driving on Emerson Drive, and then he swerved his vehicle, turned back around, and when their fiancé came out, he tried to run the fiancé over with the car. They arrested him, charged him with three counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. And he's sitting in, well, he was sitting in jail, got bonded out the same day. They gave him bond. Right. They interviewed me about that. What do you think about this? I said, Here's a star witness. Yeah, I, I'm just going to let you know I'm a little biased. <laughs> right. Right. I'm, a, I'm a little biased, but, but, but I'm ready to go. But but here's the state. Here you go, state. Yeah. Th this is your star witness. Here you go, FDLE. Yeah. Here's your star witness. Everything they told me, it's not true. He didn't do that. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, why? Because that's the fucking life he lives. That's what he does every day. I'm telling you, I'm petty. I, I, I that's not I don't say that is it's, it's not one of my best qualities. I would pick up the phone, write emails to every one of those people at FDLE that questioned you like that and yeah. say, hey, just, just, I haven't forgotten. Well, just wanted to remind you. Well, I got to say, F FDLE, you know, they posted on their social media the day I got arrested. FDLE arrest former deputy for murder, you know, trial pending. But they never, they never posted anything about me getting cleared. Mm. They didn't want to, they didn't want to post that, you know. So it's just. At the end of the day, I go back to your, what you said on one of your podcasts, too, and I was sitting there, and you said, nobody gives a shit about you. That's the reality. People need to understand that in this career and any other career. You come in here, dedicate your entire life to this job. If you put it before your family, if you put it before your kids, if you put it before well, uh, What people, I was going to ask you, keep that in mind, because I'm going to wrap up the podcast with your opinion on someone coming into the job. Cool. And, uh, but we're really running out of time, and I want to plug – uh, your new shop and your podcast you're going to be launching. Sure. Okay, so now, actually, I'll have a, a new tactical store due to my experience and everything else. You know, I still have a passion for the career, but I don't have a passion to do it anymore. Yeah. But I still want to give back, and I feel like my contributions can be in a different way. Now it's looking after those who, who serve now, military, law enforcement, fire firemen, opening up a tactical store in Orlando, which is going to be at 
4977 West Colonial Drive in Pine Hills. They call it AKA Crime Hills of Orlando. <laughs> but we're, you know, most of these guys are tactical officers. They should be able to handle the pressure and the heat. So right. I figured right. the environment wouldn't matter anyways. No. And now they don't have to drive far to go to your uh, your <laughs> shops. They should already be patrolling that area anyway. They should anyway. be already in that That's area. Right. The good thing is too, of course, I've, you know, partnered up with you guys with with the brand FRCC yep. First Responders Coffee. Yep. And thought, Lion Arms. Yep. And Lion Arms. Yep. Uh Magnet good guy. Uh I, blessed to have the opportunity to meet you guys and to network mm. in this but in that store i'll have uh clothing apparel shoes and i'm, I'm partnering with the with the best brands out there no. you know to have i'm not going to have some off-brand shoe I'm, I'm looking to get the best brand shoes out there i do have a brick and mortar so these are all the companies that are saying we can have you on board you have you need to have a brick and mortar store which is what we got we've invested a lot into it but we want to provide the absolute best location for the officers and those looking to up, upgrade their apparel and their, their gear. 1838 Tax That's what it's called, 1838 Tax Supply. My podcast I'll be starting to air on probably by next week is going to be called It's Not Guilty 2016. Also, you can find it <laughs> Not Guilty underscore 2016. I love it. That's yeah. the podcast handle? That's the podcast handle. Not Guilty, not guilty un- underscore 2016. There's no other phrase in my life that matters most than hearing Oh, yeah. my gosh. I know. You know wow. Not, not Guilty. It really so. is. All right. So your advice to someone, a lot of people, new new cops listen to this, and also a lot of aspiring cops that the same mindset you had, same mindset I had when I came in. I want to go kick ass, and I want to save people, right? What would you give them uh, outside of textbook, outside of the bullshit shit they tell you in the academy? What would you tell somebody? The same thing I've said, tell people all the time, self-affirmation. That's the first key. Always making sure you don't look up to somebody else to tell you you're doing good, you're good enough, uh, you could do this. Forget about everybody else. You can get into the job, and that's all it is, is a job. People need to understand that. It has more risks to it. I get it. But people get sensitive when I say that. Law enforcement is just a job. You commit your life to it. You can lose your life. You commit You commit to the community. But don't allow it to consume you to the point that all you do is wear everything about the job. And by the time you lose it, you have no outlet. You end up having guys that end up doing stuff to themselves because they don't know how to handle it. They have it. no identity. Yeah. You have no identity. You should be. You should have... An identity at the job, and when you leave, you, you have your own personal identity, your own hobbies, your own your own interests, because people will turn on you when stuff happens. And, and I'll go to the point really fast. When my case happened, I lost all my friends that I thought were my friends in law enforcement. Zero. I had a very small circle, and I say zero because I can, I can count on one hand the people that reached out to me. As soon as my case was over, my phone was blowing up, blowing up, and everybody was calling me brother. Hey, yeah. brother. Hey, brother. But I felt like I was in nothing. I was non-existent when my case was happening. I was on my own. And, and everybody moved on in their life. And people will fucking move on from you. Yeah. And agencies will tell you to your face. We'll hire you today. We'll hire someone else tomorrow. They will tell you. They don't give a fuck in a nice way if you're here or not. So new guys need to understand that coming in. Have passion about the job when you're there. Turn that shit off when you leave. Yeah. And, and, and make sure you take care of the uh, other obligations in your life that's not law enforcement. And do you condone dancing on TikTok? As a new cop. As a cop? Yeah. As a cop. He doesn't even understand the question. He's still in the fucking zone. I love that shirt, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I love that shirt. I was like, dude, I'm fucking buying that shirt.